is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's not it. One more. Get arrested. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouse. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. You're a never was. We. Are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is another show of the Sports Loudmouth. 631 672 3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is up, my friends? Fun weekend of fun family and football. A lot of fo- different types of football, too, between playing in the parking lot of a office building with my cousins and my uncle who came up from Florida. For the, saw him for the first time in about eight months, and the last time I saw him was my grandfather's funeral, so not really a positive time, but had a lot of fun with that. We also tried uh, Top Golf for the first time, which was pretty cool. Oh, you went there? Yes, we went to the one in Holtzville. And There's only the one around time. here. Okay, that's the only one around here? All right, I wasn't sure. I, I <laughs> another top golf. I, I I don't know. I only knew about the concept about a month ago when my cousins described it for me to to me. But we just we tried it for the first time. We did a couple different uh, target games with that, and it was pretty cool. And then on Sunday, we also had, including in our league, I had two fantasy football drafts on that day. So my brother Dylan literally planned the entire family league in one day. We drafted that day right before our draft in the beefs league. So a lot of fantasy football jammed in one day, and naturally the beef drafts Ezekiel in the second round. <laughs> well, it was a great draft, and I drafted at five in the Snake League, and I didn't like where I was drafting, but I had a pretty good team. I, I drafted pretty well, and I usually do. It's all—it's really luck when you when you do fantasy drafts. It's it's really luck of yeah, the draw. Your team got really unlucky last year with injuries. I remember it's, that. I had like seven injuries yeah. in week four, week five, which cost me the whole season. I was playing catch up the whole season, but. Uh, it's great, and hopefully this year is going to be better than last year. That's all I could say about that. At 9.30, we'll be talking to Pro Football Focus Research and Development Manager Eric Eager. He'll be joining us. And at 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to Heavy Sports Jets Digital Reporter Paul Easton Jr. He'll be joining us as well. Uh, we're going to get into the Yankees and the fans booing. Yes, Paul O'Neill Day booing Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner. Very interesting. I don't know why the Yankees are just huffing and puffing, but uh, that's the Yankee fans, ladies and gentlemen. They always find ways to complain about something, and, and they'll be complaining if Brian Cashman decides to uh, duck and weave in the in the offseason when he decides to go to the Mets because uh, the Mets have Epler. Epler and him are very good friends, so anything's possible. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Epler's former team, too. The Angels, who just got uh, new, who will get new ownership. Their owner just sold the team today. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nets say they are no longer trading Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant and the organization and the powers to be sat down with Kevin the other day, and Kevin and, and the Nets decided to... Uh, stay together for at least 
a half a season. We'll see what happens at the trade deadline. But you have Ben Simmons on the team. You have Kevin Durant on the team. And you have Kyrie Irving on the team. Three clowns and a beautiful circus. So uh, I'm looking forward to this season for the Brooklyn Nets. I'll watch a lot of Brooklyn Net games. What could possibly go wrong with those three? Mm, We'll see. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Lamar Jackson turns down a contract worth about $230 million. Here's the thing. And and we'll get into this a little bit later in the show because I definitely want to talk about this. $230 million is a lot of money. And to decide to part ways from that contract and really expect to go into the season with no contract, that's a little scary if you're an NFL player. As a quarterback that uses his legs more than his arms. So uh, that's a little scary. I'm going to get into that a little bit later in the show. Jazz turned down the Knicks offer of Obi Toppin, Evan Fournier, and five first-round draft picks. Uh, not surprised, but uh, they'll figure it out. I-, I think there'll still be some kind of negotiations. I think they want Grimes, and the Knicks are not willing to part ways. I also heard R.J. Barrett's name getting yeah. wiggled around as well, but they're not doing that either. Uh, the Jets and the Giants preseason week two. Outlooks to the Giants, injuries, and obviously the offensive line and front seven. And the Jets rest most of their starters. So we'll get into the Jets and what the Jets need to do in the final game of this, the preseason before the season with the New York Giants on Thursday. Um, so why don't we get into this? The whole Yankees, you know, Brian Cashman, Hal Steinberger situation with, with the Met, Mets and Yankees. We'll get into the Mets and Yankees game as well um, as the Yankees win game number one tonight. Uh, they're, I think, in his sixth inning, and it's tied 2-2. But... Um, on Sunday, I was actually not watching the game. I was DJing a party. I was involved uh, at a friend's uh, event. And I heard I had a lot of friends go to that game because they're big Paul O'Neill fans. And if anybody doesn't know who Paul O'Neill, congratulations to Paul O'Neill because to me, he deserved to be in uh, the Yankees Hall of Fame for years. If anybody doesn't remember Paul O'Neill, the Warrior, especially in the playoffs, how sensational he was in the playoffs, one of the biggest profited players in Yankees baseball history. And what I mean by that is the Yankees profited off of his greatness in the playoffs. But on Sunday, I think after watching that game, And I watched the replay, and I watched when Paul O'Neill got announced and he made his speech. But not only that, when Hal Steinbrenner came out there to give Paul O'Neill a plaque, and Brian Cashman as well came out there to take some pictures with Paul O'Neill, the Yankee fans absolutely embarrassed themselves. To boo one of the greatest GMs in baseball history. Yes, you heard it from me. 30 winning seasons with the New York Yankees. 30. And you're going to say, well, five of them he was the assistant GM. Okay, take that away. 25 winning seasons with the New York Yankees. And to sit here and talk, and I mean have the understanding of what Yankee fans do 
when it comes to their coaches, their managers, their owners, and even their own players. And, and I'll, I'll say this about Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo did not play well as a New York Yankee. He was horrible. This year, he was absolutely horrendous. To, but to boo him the way the Yankee fans booed him day in, day out, every time he went to the plate was despicable. To boo one of the greatest GMs in Yankees history is crazy, especially when he's, he's going to be a free agent in the offseason. This is a man that has built this team, constructed this team. Is it the best team the Yankees have ever had? No, but going into the second half of the season, they had one of their best records they've ever had as an organization. Have they played well in August? They've played horrendous. Probably the worst we've ever seen the Yankees play in August. 4-14. and 14. <laughs> But again, that's not Brian Cashman's fault. Brian Cashman made all the trades he needed to to get this team over the hump, to get them into the playoffs as not a wild card team this year, but as a top two team where they can obviously have a bye in the first round. They added Andrew Benatendi. At one point this year, he was the, had the best average in the American League. They added uh, Frankie Montras, who is probably... At one point this year, really before his aunt passed away or whoever passed away in his family, was considered one of the top 10, top 12 starting pitchers in the American League. They added Trevino, another, you know, a pitcher to go into that bullpen. They added another relief pitcher from the Cubs. They did everything they needed to do, adding a bat adding pitching. They did everything they needed to do to move forward in the second half to help this team win. So what do the Yankee fans do? They boo the owner, who, by the way, said he doesn't want to overspend for players. But then again, then again, when you look at what the Yankees gave up for Frankie Montras, they gave up three of their top pitchers in their farm system. Two of them could be, I wouldn't say elite, one of them could be a top, you know, a, a one or a two. The other two guys could be three or fours. I sit here today and I think, and I, I will say this as a Yankee fan, Yankee fans are disrespectful. They don't know how to treat anybody on this team when they're not winning. I could sit here over and over again and and say what I feel and scream at the fans on what they do on and off the field. Are the Yankees playing well? They're playing like garbage. I don't care if they won two games. I don't care if they beat the Mets yesterday. I don't care if they beat Max Scherzer. I don't even care if they win tonight and they've won three games in a row. The regular season means nothing to the Yankees. Every year the Yankees make the playoffs practically. It's all about winning in the playoffs. That means these players have to show up game in and game out when the games count in the playoffs and win. 
And they haven't done it since 2009. Maybe because they made a move for CC or AJ Burnett or, I don't know, Mark Teixeira. But to sit here and blame Brian Cashman because the last 11, 12 years they haven't won a championship is ridiculous. Not fair and uncalled for. And I know a lot of Yankee fans. Matter of fact, I know a lot of Met fans that would absolutely cut off their arm for Brian Cashman to run their organization. And how Steinbrenner? Is he his father, George? Nobody liked George Steinbrenner. He's not even in the Hall of Fame yet. Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. And George Steinbrenner, which helped baseball, by the way, absolutely helped the way the game has changed when it comes to overpaying players. These players should absolutely get on their knees to George Steinbrenner for what he has paid players every single year when he was running this organization. But no. The league hated him. Just like the league, the NFL hates Jerry Jones. Because of who he is as an owner. Not because of what he is or what he was as an owner. But now that George Steinbrenner is dead, may he rest in peace, everybody loves him. All the fans love him. But when he was there and the Yankees weren't winning, what were the Yankee fans doing, Speedy? Complaining. Complaining, booing, saying that he overpays players that shouldn't be there. And maybe they're right. Jason Giambi to me, was an absolute waste of money. Jacoby Ellsbury, which, by the way, that wasn't George Steinbrenner. It was Brian Cashman. A completely waste of money. But we've seen some great things from this team and this organization for years. And I know if you're a Yankee fan today and you're sitting here today, Speedy, and you're wondering what Brian Cashman's going to do in the offseason when he has the opportunity to leave and go and, and, and become the president of the Mets or go become the president of Anaheim or president of any organization when he has a choice to stay with the Yankees or go somewhere else where he's appreciated, if I was him, I would leave. Yeah, and these Yankee fans that are booing him clearly do not appreciate the smaller values within the, that are within a modern front office. You can say... A lot of these teams that win championships spend money, but it's also the other things that they do. Yeah, they're not the Dodgers, okay? They're not spending money recklessly. But you know what the Dodgers also do? Rebirth bench players and make them into good players. Chris Taylor, bench player with the Mariners. Justin Turner, bench player with the Mets. Max Muncy, bench player with the Athletics, made them good. A lot of their prospects, they made work in that system, developed a very good farm system. That's how they're able to make those trades. The Yankees have found those gems, too. Look at somebody like Trevino this year. Jose Trevino, catcher that was always a good defensive catcher, but never hit a lick. Matt Carpenter, out of baseball for three years. His last great season was 2018 when he was an MVP candidate. You're going to bash Brian Cashman for that kind of thing? Why? Because he didn't go after Juan Soto with the trade deadline? They did go after Juan Soto. They did. Well, all right. So the Yankee fans that wanted Juan did Soto. Did anybody see what the Padres gave up for Juan Soto? Right. We knew the price was going to be hefty. So you were, if, you, if you were a Yankee fan and you wanted Juan Soto, you do realize that price would have had to be a little bit more than what the Padres ended up giving up. 
for Juan Soto. And remember, they had to make, they had to also trade Harry Cosmer to make it work, too. So there would have been some other complications involved, probably, with one of your other contracts, too, because the Yankees' payroll is still pretty high, even though you claim, oh, they don't spend the money. No, they still have a lot of money spent. So clearly, that's not the, the problem with the team. Again, yes, the postseason has been an issue. The Yankees have crumbled in the a- a- NLCS in certain years, or ALCS in certain years. Understandable. That's fine. There's plenty of years, though, where they've also exceeded expectations of the postseason. I didn't expect them to make it in 2015 with that old team that they had that year, year after Jeter's retirement. How about 2017? The, the Cleveland Indians that year, number one seed, they had that 20-game winning streak. The Yankees came back down 2 to nothing after that horrific collapse in Game 2 and beat, and beat them. I know they lost to the Astros in the next round, but the Astros were cheating. So you'll probably have a World Series team. So I don't know what Yankee fans expect from him. I don't know why they don't appreciate the small moves, the gem moves that he's done over the and years. And I'm reading what Carl's saying. The Yankees are 3-13 and 13 since Joey Gallo was traded. That's great. And we're not even talking about how the Yankees have been playing. We're talking about the Yankee fans, Carl. We're yeah, not even talking correct. about that. Or what we say, talking, all right? What I'm saying right now, if you're a Yankee fan today... You should have some respect for what this organization has done year in and year out. Winning or losing is not going to show what the Yankees have done when it comes to winning championships. Has Has there ever been a team in any sport that's won 27 championships? No. And I'm not even talking about the past. And I know the Yankees haven't won since 2009. I understand that. When was the last time the Mets won? 1986? I could tell you a bunch of teams right now in the majors that have never won a championship. Then again, won a championship 10 years ago. But again, Yankee fans are spoiled. Yankee fans cry the river when they don't win. And I'm a Yankee fan, guys. You can see the Yankee hat I'm wearing on my head right now. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. But I don't even go out there when the Yankees aren't winning, and say, well, <laughs> the Yankees should have gotten Juan Soto. The Yankees should go after Max Scherzer. I know somebody that was on this show mm. a couple a couple of months ago complaining that they should have went after Max Scherzer. The respect is, when you look at a team and how they win and how an organization is run, you have to respect everything about that organization, not just the players. The management and the organization as a whole. Look at Buck Showalter. Where does he come from? The Yankees. Where did Epler come from? The Yankees. Half the GMs in the league came from the New York Yankees. Pitching coaches. Managers. How many managers that are in the league right now play for the New York Yankees? That's what I'm saying. The Yankees are a winning organization. They've always been a winning organization. But for the fans, and I will say this. I know what Jeff says all the time. The, the New York fans are the worst. That's not true. That's not true. Because I've been to Fenway. I've heard what the Boston fans do. I've been to Chicago. I've heard what the Chicago fans have done to uh, you know, players and other fans. I've seen it. Ozzy Guillen, not a whole debacle. <laughs> I've seen thoughts, it all. Yeah. I've seen it all, okay? I, I'm, I'm just naming some, some places I've been. Even in L.A. with the Dodgers. 
I have been to Dodger Stadium. I have heard the Dodger fans and what they have done for to other team fans that came in attendance. Everywhere you go, the fans are not always nice. And I'll tell you this. The one thing I hate more about Yankee fans is their spoiledness. Winning is not easy. Winning World Series are not easy. But to sit here and complain about your GM saying that he's not doing his job, which is absolutely I don't even want to use the word on live air, but you know what I'm saying. BS. And Hal Steinbrenner, who has opened up his pockets to say that he hasn't. The Yankees have the third, yes, the third highest payroll in the majors. Third. And Yankee fans complaining that the Mets got this guy and the Mets got that guy. Who cares? You've seen the Mets trade deadline? So far, Vogelbach's nice, but they're still not great. So uh, to go back, and, and I, again, I'm not going to harp on this anymore. Brian Cashman, as a GM, they would, there would be 30 other teams lined up if he becomes available in the offseason. As a matter of fact, I believe that Brian Cashman and Aaron Judge could be on his way out of their organization, the Yankees organization, by the end of this season. That's intriguing. Both both guys going to the same team. Brian Cashman gets hired and he goes after No, I don't Aaron think Judge. Aaron Judge is going going to the Mets. No, no, I didn't say the Mets. I said, uh, no, wherever Brian Cashman goes, he'll try to pursue him is what you're saying. I think Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge is going to go. He, it seems like he's going to the uh, San Francisco yeah, for I'm sorry, San Francisco Giants. That's where I think he's going. I don't know where Brian Cashman is going to go, but what I have heard is Brian Cashman doesn't want to leave New York. So if he leaves the Yankees, where is he going to go? Uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of places that will end up taking him. Now, in the case of Aaron Judge, he's wanted to go out west. So the the Angels would be likely, in terms of the Brian cashman Aaron Boone mutual, because I don't know if the Giants would fire their GM, but nevertheless... The Giants are still going to pursue Aaron Judge hard. As far as Brian Cashman, yeah, there's going to be tons of teams lining up for that if he does somehow become available. There's going to be organizations that overpay for that kind of thing because you don't get many guys that find gems the same way that he did. Yes, for all you Yankee fans that are booing him, would you rather be the Nationals, win the one World Series, and now look at where you are now type thing? Or would you rather have a consistently good product? It's not like a fan base that has been starving for a World Series. You've, Unless you're like a... a a Yankee fan that's you're the 13 Mets. years old or something. If then, you were the Mets, yeah, if you're right. a Mets fan and you haven't won a championship since 1986 and you've been to a World Series, what, six years ago? Yeah. And you didn't win the World Series and you lost against the Kansas City Royals, which is one of the worst teams right now in the majors again. Right. So think, I, I, That's pretty bad. So think about that. So you have... A, you have a team in the Mets that is very fluky. Even that World Series run was very unexpected the way it happened. The Royals were the much better team, and the Mets had better pitching. They made it work for, to get there, past the Cubs and all that. But the Mets still had had very inconsistent runs of that. There's a lot of these other teams that won World Series, like you were saying with Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Very, they, they had a nice four years, fine. They went to one World Series, lost, went to another one, won. The Nationals, like I just mentioned, had a good stretch. Fine. Look at where they are now. God awful. The Cubs now the same kind of thing. So they have 
they haven't hit that new low that you've seen other teams hit, and you should be appreciative of that, and especially with Brian Cashman. Uh, John Suggs says, before we go to break, uh, question with the Ravens' number one running back, Gus Edwards, out four to five weeks. Would you pick up Kenyon Drake on a one-year contract? First of all, he's not. He, J- J.K. Dobbins should be the number J.K. one running back. J.K. Dobbins is the number one running back. Yeah, because he his recovery from last season was actually a lot faster than people expect, so he should be ready to go. He's absolutely the number one running back. Yeah. He has been the number one running back when he became healthy. He was the number one running back before he hurt his knee. Uh, Alex Lowe's, I want to see Speedy try to win a fight against Jake Paul. Never going to happen, but I'd fight Jake Paul any day, <laughs> oh, any time. You'll beat Jake Paul. I know that. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I, I would probably try to wear him out okay. uh, You know, because he does have power. I'm not going to lie about Jake Paul. He has a lot of power, so I would probably tire him out with my footwork and then go in and try to knock him out. Mm-hmm. Just outsmart him in a boxing match. He has fought nobody. He, he has beaten anybody. He beat UFC fighters that were completely out of his league. Uh, and, and, and really, what I mean by completely out of his league, he's a better fighter than they are when it comes to boxing. One of them was 39 years old, and he was washed up, welterweight oh. champion. Yeah. And the other one was overweight. He was never a good boxer. <laughs> he was a wrestler. So who's he beaten? The, Nate Robinson? The fighting Give me a break. of Eddie Lacy. <laughs> Nate Robinson. Give me a break. A, uh, a, a basketball player that turned into a boxer. Look at this. We're seeing all these athletes change sports. After they retire, they go right into boxing, mixed martial arts. Give me a break. Sean Merriman will be recruiting them all. <laughs> Sean Merriman's different because he's an athletic beast, yes. and the guy is just built like an ox. So we've seen it. And Greg Hardy also, very good physique. Yeah. Uh, didn't work out in the UFC because he's fighting guys that are twice as better twice better than he sure. is when it comes to you know mixed martial arts that's been you're really doing mixed martial arts their whole careers to a guy that just transitioned from as as an NFL defensive lineman to a to a UFC fighter. So it's just because of his name and because he's a bad boy for what he did to his girlfriend. John says to put it in terms, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Josh Allen making 258 million? Yes, he is. Six years, 258. In my opinion, Allen is better than Lamar. So 230 was plenty. LMAO or IMO. Snug says, let's go Mets. Speedy, if a Mets pitcher throws a no-hitter in the last two months, will you get your hair done like Taiwan Walker? No, I am not curling my hair like that, Snug. Uh, John says, Yankee support, lack of support to Donaldson was crazy. Snug says, Montez is way better than Montgomery. Mets f- fans are fine people. Uh, I don't know. Kermit is making a lot of money. Uh, Snug says, Gallo is coming back around. I think the beard is the source of his strength. Uh, Carl says, of course, you could have respect. You could be a Cubs fan and struggle forever until 2015 to 2021. Ha. Huh? Uh, where are the Chicago fans do? He wants to know. Could pick Philly fans to make your point, not Chicago. Well, yeah, they're the ultimate hooligans. Uh, Snug says, Boston fans are God's people. What if the Yankees hired Aaron Judge to be the next GM? John says, Cashman and Judge have leave to Angels for Otani. And I don't think you could trade a GM, John, in the same trade. I mean, that probably would be a fair deal, but you can't trade GMs. Carl says, Carl Gray, unjudged to the Cubs. We can replace Hayward's miserable contract with another one in Judge. By the way, that could happen. If Judge decides to go to San Francisco, Otani does become available. Maybe Otani does get traded to the Yankees. I do know the Yankees were interested in in Otani at the trade deadline. They actually reached out to Anaheim and, and, and asked him if he was going to be available. It wasn't Frankie Montrez. It, it was, I heard it was more Otani in, in talks of, of possibly trading than, than Frankie Montrez. Mm. Carl says Cashman and Judge seen dining on an Alaskan cruise ship. Uh, I would say Montrez, Kenyon. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
No, Montez. Uh, you got Montez, it right. I'm sorry. You got it right. Uh, Carl says, I would sign Drake. And Snug says, LOL, you'll get the sh- you'll, uh Carl says, Alex Lowe, send the shirt. And Snug says, LOL, you'll get the shirt on the same day Kenny brings in the turkey dinners. Yeah, well, that's never going to happen. So. <laughs> Kenny, well, Kenny. Never again, neither is Carl's was shirt. Four years rate. ago? Four yeah. years ago, Kenny invited himself out here because he lost the bet. <laughs> and it was to supposed give us to be a whole dinner. third and long show, too. It wasn't Thanksgiving just Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. and it went, well, he has a better chance of bringing geese or gooses to uh, that dinner table because yeah. he likes to uh, hunt them and run after them. So uh, Kenny is his own personality, a weird personality. But uh, he, I haven't seen Kenny in the, uh, the uh, in the board for a while. So uh, very interesting. But Kenny has a personality. So anybody that doesn't know Kenny from uh, – where is he? Upstate White New York? White Plains, I think White Plains, yeah. New York. Uh, and you haven't followed him on social media, you have to check him out. He's crazy. His his YouTube um, his YouTube channel is funny, man. He is a one of a million. You know, he's one in a million. That's all I'm going to say. When we come back, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to Pro Football Focus Research and Development Manager Eric Eager here on the Sports Lab Notes. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our first guest of the night, it's the first time on our show. We are now talking to Pro Football Focus Research and Development Manager, Eric Eager. Eric, what's going on, bud? Fellas, this is uh, this is fun. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, a couple weeks till the season starts for the NFL, so uh, it's crunch time. Oh, it's crunch time, all right. And by the way, that's one of our segments on our weekend crunch t- uh, radio show on 103.9. So let's get down to the crunch, baby. But uh, before we get into some of the questions that we're going to ask you when it comes to the NFL, how are you and your family with COVID over the last couple of years? I Well, look, I don't know if we've had it and just didn't test positive for it. I've tested a, a few times, like when I went to the Super Bowl and the combine and all that. I have never tested positive for it. So uh, I feel like uh, I, I've either gotten lucky or... I had it, but didn't know getting to spend a little bit more time every day with my family at home has actually been a plus, but obviously there have been some downsides to it as well. But, uh, you know, we all got kind of lucky. I think that they played an NFL season that year. That's for sure. So everybody knows we are talking to pro football focus, research and development manager, Eric eager. So Eric, why don't we get into the New York football teams first, and then we'll go throughout the league and some of your thoughts on where you think some of these teams are going to be when the season begins. But the New York Jets, obviously losing Zach Wilson, uh, maybe for week one. A lot of people expect him to be out week one, and he'll be back week two. Um, and, and some of the things that we've seen so far in the preseason, I, I, have, so, I have seen that the most teams are not throwing to Sauce Gardner. That's something that we've seen so far. But yep. also, the secondary of the New York Jets have been lackluster to be exact. I mean, so, I, I know we haven't seen DJ Reed. He really hasn't been on the field, but... Hall, which we expected to be a big piece to this defense, has not looked good. Uh, some of these guys, these secondary players that we thought were going to stand out this uh, preseason, have not. What are your thoughts to where this team's going to be moving on to this season? Is this defense going to be as good as everybody expects it to be? 
Yeah, that's always the risk. I think cornerback is such a premium position, but you need to have more than just one or two good corners because opposing offenses, especially in that division, can can find the weaker guy, right? So even though I think Sauce Gardner has 18 snaps this year in coverage without even being targeted, uh, which is the highest in in preseason among uh, you know players. You know he's going to be good, but the problem is I think that you need more than just you know a good corner or two. Um, I think it obviously helps if you can get some pass rush out of Jermaine Johnson and and some Carl Lawson, uh, you know, uh, as well as you know linebacker play that you know can sort of span the field a little bit. But they're not that good at linebacker either. Um, all this is to say, I think they'll be better than last year, but that that's going to, you know, that that's not that hard. The offense is really going to have to carry this team. They put a lot into the offensive line, even after Beckham, uh, Beckham's injury, they put a lot into wide receiver and tight end, uh, and obviously running back at Brees Hall to go with Michael Carter from last year's draft. Uh, they're going to have to carry it because I don't think their defense is going to be good enough in an AFC where there's so many good offenses. Um, they'll, they'll be hanging on for dear life on defense. Their offense is going to have to pick up the slack. So I'm actually going to start this interview with uh, one of the questions from our fans, John Suggs. Uh, you, uh, he said that you said that the Giants will win more than seven. Can you explain which games? And do you think Saquon Barkley will stay healthy this year? Yeah. So um, that that's for, you know with our simulation, um, we have them with about eight wins. Um, it, it's an easy schedule, right? So they open at Tennessee. Um, you know we don't know if the Titans are going to be good, but you know you look at bad teams on their schedule: Panthers, Bears. Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, Lions, Commanders twice, and then by the end of the season, the Vikings could be bad. I mean, you're talking about having, you know, like I said, from from a point spread perspective, the easiest schedule in the NFL. Um, a good home field advantage, with which I know hasn't bared fruit over the past few years because they haven't been a good team. Um, there's also, you know, I think either one of the Eagles or the Cowboys, as they do every year, is probably going to implode. Um, but it's just based upon entirely on their schedule, which has, as I just listed out here, uh, a bunch of teams that are are relatively easy to go against uh, in, in this conference. The NFC, really, you know, the weaker of the two conferences this year. And I think the Giants could be a team uh, as they benefit from it the most. When we talk about Dable, who has been... Uh, really a breath of fresh air for the New York Giants. Uh, everything that we've seen offensively from Daniel Jones throughout the preseason, we've seen some really fun, you know, offensive plays by Daniel Jones using his legs, staying inside and out of the pocket. And, and, and some fancy things we've seen Dable run through Buffalo with Josh, uh, Josh Allen. What are your thoughts to the growth of Daniel Jones? Do you think Daniel Jones could be the quarterback of the future now that Dable is there? I don't think so. And this goes against kind of like, I think he's the, I think he has potential this year to put up a season like Blake Bortles had for the 2017 Jaguars, which is to say, I don't know if you can give him the long-term deal. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, quarterbacks now either make the 45 million that Baker, uh, that, uh, sorry, that uh, uh, Kyler Murray made, mm-hmm. or they make like what Jameis Winston or, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, et cetera, make. Um, which is substantially lower. I don't know if the Giants – I don't know what Daniel Jones could do this year for the Giants to go back to the table and say, hey, we want to give you uh, you know, $40 million per year. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. But I think he can play well enough where they maybe bridge him a little bit, give him like one year $20 million, which is reportedly what Tampa Bay was going to offer Jameis Winston uh, if they didn't get Tom Brady. I think that there's that. Um, but yeah, I think all the stuff you brought up is, is pertinent. Like, he – 
He gives you a floor with his legs, especially if he can stay healthy. He has gotten better at not turning the ball over. Uh, he was terrible at it early on. Um, and, and you look at the the offense, there's some talent there. Like I, I know Kenny Galladay hasn't really been what they wanted him to be. Oh, he's got Wondell Robinson, Kadarius Toney, and Saquon Barkley, who I think can all provide uh, good offense. And they have two tackles that are top you know, 10 picks in the NFL. Yeah, the, the saddest stat of the year for the Giants. Andrew Thomas caught more touchdowns than, uh, than Kenny Galladay last year. Yeah. <laughs> that should say all you need to know. So speaking of your message, you are talking about the big quarterback contracts. We just heard yesterday that Lamar Jackson turned down a contract that would make him the second highest paid quarterback in NFL history. So what do you think it is with him? Does he not trust the Ravens? Does he want out of the Ravens? Or is he trying to say, all right, I'm going to bank on myself and go for more? Well, I, it's silly for him to bet on himself this year because, you know, unfortunately, like the Ravens have team control over him for two straight years. And the the, sal- the, the salary cap hit for a, um, you know, for a quarterback on the franchise tag is not that bad. So I think Lamar, this is where he could benefit from having an agent because I think, you know, almost all the time a, te- a player is going to think, oh, the team is trying to screw me over when an agent can sort of be like, well, I'm going to negotiate a contract where both parties are happy. Um, I don't think obviously Lamar being a quarterback and not an agent is probably not equipped to build a contract that benefits both parties. So I think that there's always going to be, you know, that issue with him is, is unless he's the highest paid guy, I just don't think he's ever going to look at it as a situation where he's not getting screwed over. He should hire his mother. (laughs) We are now talking to pro football focus research and development manager, Eric Eager. Now, Eric, we look at the AFC, and the AFC is stacked. We, we talk about Kansas City, even though they're going to take a step back because losing Tyreek Hill and some of the, the offensive weapons that they lost in the offseason, it is going to affect a great Patrick Mahomes. But they added uh, some good weapons in the draft, and they had a decent draft. And, and also, when you look at that division, it is stacked. Uh, Russell Wilson right now is playing for the Broncos, and they have a pretty good defense, and they have a lot of offensive weapons like Jerry Judy, who I think is going to be explosive this year, and, and Sullivan. Um, but also, when you look at Vegas with the weapons they have with Adams and that division, and, and throughout that AFC, where do you see this AFC really falling from piece to piece? Yeah, I actually disagree with this the idea that Chiefs are going to be worse. I think the entire league was forcing them to play left-handed mm-hmm. by being so deep. You know, they would cover play cover two no matter what the Chiefs did. And right. Tyreek Hill turned into kind of an underneath receiver. He had, you know, two, he, he, his average depth of target was like a yard and a half lower than the previous year. His yards after the catch were lower as well. He had 23 drops the last two years, which I think is because he's not used to catching the underneath stuff. I actually think they'll be better. Um, really? But the what? Yeah, but it, just because receiving cores are better when they're deeper. You know, uh, I think if you – and Packers fans know this from having the best receiver in the NFL but not being able to win in the playoffs, which is when you play good defenses, they can shut down one guy. They, they have a hard time shutting down four or five guys. So I, I think that – but be that as it may, I, I think the Chiefs are going to be the two seed again. I think it's going to be Buffalo. Buffalo is a house, uh, and, and I think other than a Josh Allen injury – they should have a pretty good, you know, uh, situation there. I think the Chiefs are going to be pretty good. They'll probably win that division again, even though it's going to be a lot harder. They're not favored against the field for the first time in forever. Um, and, and then from there, I think it's Baltimore, Cincinnati in the north. Uh, I think it's just Indianapolis in the south, if not Indianapolis and Jacksonville, who I think wow. uh, with a sm- modest bump from from Trevor Lawrence 
uh, could be pretty good with an easy schedule and an easy division and a superstar possibility at quarterback. Um, and then I think in the West, it's probably going to be the Chargers and the Broncos. I will say, if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm a little worried because when Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator for the Packers, it took Rodgers one year before he became the MVP, not immediate. So there is a chance that this is like kind of a feeling out process for Russell Wilson in Denver, in which case uh, I think Denver might just like struggle a little bit. Um, but there's always the, the the chance that the Chargers will underperform. I mean, that happens like every year. So the West is interesting. I, I don't know after the Chiefs of those three teams, I think one will make it. And I'm not exactly sure who it is. I'll bet on the I'll bet on the the Chargers, though, among those three teams. You'll appreciate this as a Broncos fan. I call I always call the Chargers since 2010 when they lost in the playoffs to the Jets, the least clutch team in football. They always find the weirdest ways to lose. So um, my question with the Broncos, so you were mentioning that you had your skepticism of Nathaniel Hackett. Also on the defensive side, losing Vic Fangio. Uh, is there What coach would you have pursued instead? Would you have kept Fangio or would you have pursued somebody else in the offseason? And uh, Russell Wilson, do you think it was a lot to give up for him? Well, I think the Wilson thing's fine. I mean, that's the market value for a great quarterback. Denver has not really been good at picking quarterbacks. And they haven't really, to their, I think, um, detriment, they haven't given it a real shot. You know, they haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round in forever. Uh, Paxton Lynch, I think, 2016. (laughs) But even then, he was back half of the first round, which is, you know, know, it wasn't a great draft pick, in my opinion. Um, But... You know, to get a quarterback who you think is going to be really good, you have to give up that much. So I think that he did. I think Hackett's fine. I just think that expectations have to be tempered. You know, I think they they have like a, a, a design coach now, which is basically teaching coaches how to coach, which I think is like kind of a cool little edge that they might be able to carve out there. Defense has great talent and they get Randy Gregory from Dallas, which I think is a good uh, acquisition. And at the wide receiver position, I know Patrick's injured, but Judy has been fantastic. Sutton's a good player. Uh, and then at tight end, Albert O, I think is going to be a breakout candidate this year. Javante Williams, I've already bet him over 900 rushing yards this year. I just think that that's a lock. Um, I think they'll be good. I just think for the Broncos to win 12, 13 games, you know, Russ is going to have to be the MVP of the league. And I don't know if he can be the MVP of the league right away. NFC East, everybody is looking at it and, and they're they're trying to – trying to figure out where some of these teams are going to fall. The Cowboys, which they were the number one uh, team in the AFC, uh, in the NFC last year, the number the NFC East last year. And then some of the acquisitions that Philadelphia made in the offseason, the draft, and then adding A.J. Brown. And, and Jordan Davis looks like a beast of a man. He looks crazy. And then uh, you look at everybody else, the Washington Commanders, and then the New York Giants. Where does this NFC East fall in your eyes? It's it's an interesting question. I think Washington could be a team that is spunky. They were pretty good last year if after you adjust for schedule and after you adjust for injuries and COVID and all that. So, but, and, and I thought Scott Turner did a great job of calling plays for them. I just think Antonio Gibson, which we're finding out is pretty real. Antonio Gibson was terrible last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the least efficient runners when the team blocked up plays. Uh, and Taylor Heineke was terrible. If you took Taylor Heineke without play action, he averaged like five yards a pass attempt. So, you know, you bring Wentz in, you bring uh, Brian Robinson Jr. in. I think you give you give the offense a chance. I don't think Wentz will be great, but I think he just has to be maybe league average for that team to be good. And, and then defensively, I know Chase Young, losing him to the first four weeks is a blow, but they have a lot of good players on that defense. They have an easy schedule, fourth easiest in the NFL. Um, them 
or the Giants, I think will actually be contenders in this division. Wow. I just don't know which one. Um, Philly, everybody's hot on Philly. I get it. I think Jalen, it'll go as far as Jalen Hurts takes them, which is, I think, kind of frustrating when you build a team that way because you build everything but Jalen Hurts and then you have to depend upon Jalen Hurts. And, and that's tough. Dallas is probably a 50 50 proposition to be a 12 win team or a complete bust, uh, as they are every single year. What a couple is... injuries here and there, and they can they can bust out the way they did in 2020, <laughs> or they can be pretty good like they were in 2021. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the 17 what? game finish of 8 8 and 1. Why does everybody hate the Cowboys? I mean, everybody, every expert that we have spoken to uh, since you, I, I mean, we've taught, we, we speak, we've spoken to at least five or six, you know, I guess, experts. And everybody says that the Cowboys are going to be horrible this year. I don't understand it. Uh, like, like, what did well, they lose? Uh, to be fair, I said they had a 50% chance to win 12 games. Okay. Okay. Right. Like, I, I, I just think when you look at that team, the floor is low, right? We saw the floor in 2020 when they really couldn't win a game. Like, they, they, the quarterback obviously got hurt. But even before Dak got hurt, they were putting up 600 yards in a game in two and three. Right. Last year, they got really good luck with – Randy Gregory, uh, Micah Parsons, J. Ron Curse, and then I think chiefly it was, you know, Trayvon Diggs, uh, who got all the interceptions but gave up a thousand yards in coverage. <laughs> so you you decrease Trayvon Diggs from eleven interceptions to four, let's say. Right. right? You you Parsons, you know, maybe maybe Parsons they, they try to play him more as a traditional linebacker and less of a Lawrence Taylor type player. You know, J. Ron Curse already got buckled up in a in a training camp. You know, you, there there are Weak links to the Cowboys where if they all are strong, they're great. If they're not, we've seen 2020 with Dallas. We've seen, I mean, that team led the league in yards per play in 2019 and went eight and eight. Like this team's capable of some stuff, right? Like, and, and, and they've been that way forever. They have wide receiver problems, yeah. so that's going to be a problem. They have wide receiver problems. I, I think CeeDee Lamb, if you're going to make a bet, a long shot bet, CeeDee Lamb to lead the league in receiving is a pretty good one. Mm. Uh, I think he's a great player. Um, but, but beyond him, I mean, it's Dalton Schultz, a tight end, who's playing on the franchise tag. And um, after that, I mean, they could really use somebody like Will Fuller, uh, to be honest with you. Michael Gallup coming back. There's a number of ways they can go. Cowboys fans always thinking their players are always the best. Me, I had somebody hear of them. Trayvon Diggs, a top five quarter in the NFL, just based on his first half of all those interceptions. Yeah, okay. So from, a, from the NFC East to the West, the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams, a team that did not – they were lost Von Miller, but they gained a lot more in the offseason. Didn't lose as much as a lot of people expect for any Super Bowl championship type team. What do you think is the chances of them repeating? And also with Matthew Stafford's arm, and there were some concerns with that going into the season. What have you heard about that? It's all about Stafford's arm for me. The NFC is so much weaker than it was a season ago. Um, and and so I think, you know, even though they lose Miller, um, you know, they lose Odell, they do get Allen Robinson. Um, back, which is helpful. They lose Andrew Whitworth, but Joseph Noboom has always been good in his stead. So I think they'll be fine. If Stafford's arm blows up, though, and and we've seen it, Stafford's missed a lot of time in his career, and he's also played injured and poorly a lot of time in his career, including at times last year, even in a Super Bowl year. Uh, that that could be the that to me that's the only dagger to them. I think everything else, if Stafford plays moderately healthy all year, I think that they are a top three seed in the NFC. We are talking to Pro Football Focus Research and Development Manager Eric Eager. Last question for me, Eric, because I know you have a show coming up. You look at Tampa, and, and, and Tampa, they have as good a team as they did last year. I, I think they're even more stacked. I think offensively, they did lose their center. 
for a significant amount of time. I think Jensen will be up, be back sometime this year. But nevertheless, this team is stacked. Tom Brady came back. I've I've been hearing a lot of good things since he's been back uh, over the last 24 hours. What are your thoughts to Tampa? Do you think that this team could be a Super Bowl contender this year? Certainly. I think the loss on the interior of the offensive line is rough. They did get Shaq Mason from New England. Losing Ryan Jensen for that long is tough. Aaron Stinney as well is a bad loss. Uh, God, you know, Godwin... Evans have been banged up. You get bring in Julio. Who knows how long he'll play? I think the defense will be very solid. Uh, they did they did let Sue go, um, but Sue was kind of a replacement level player last year, so that that's probably fine. The secondary is good. Todd Bowles, I think, is an upgrade over Bruce Arians at this point. Really? In their wow. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they're a top three seed in the NFC. I think any reasonable person you look at the NFC, it's the Rams, it's the Bucks, it's the Packers. Um, any one of those teams can fall off. I don't think they're as strong as the Bills and the Chiefs and the you know some of the top teams in the AFC, but um, I think those are the top three teams in the NFC, uh, and they all have warts, but I think they're all solid, and it starts for all three of them at the head coach and quarterback position. So my last question, one team that you think will overperform and be a surprise, and one team that you think will underperform this year? Uh, yeah, if, if anybody's following my Twitter, it's something of a of a gag at this point. But I do I do actually think they'll be better than expectation, and that's the, the Detroit Lions. Um, I, I think Goff. You know, once they got rid of Anthony Lynn, Goff was a pretty good quarterback last year. Defense has two first round picks at defensive end. Offense is littered with first round picks, and you get Jamison Williams back in Week Five. I think they'll be better, and, and they have the second easiest, uh, second or third easiest schedule in the NFL. So. There, it's it's mapped out there for them pretty well. I think a team that's going to underachieve, unfortunately, for uh, you know everybody down in South Beach. I think the Miami Dolphins are going to underachieve. I just don't see Tua uh, with a head coach that's never called plays at the NFL level and never been a head coach at the NFL level trying to do both in the same year with a quarterback who's not very good. I think that that's going to be tougher, and they're talented, but I think it's going to be tougher for them than people believe. Are you sure you weren't on Tyreek Hill's podcast? <laughs> because Tyreek says he's the most accurate quarterback he's ever seen. <laughs> Tyreek, yeah. I don't know Poor what he's Tyreek. drinking. He might be smoking something, but uh, it must be really good ganja over there because if he's not doing that, he might be on something. But uh, Maybe he should am... tell his owner so he doesn't have to tamper for Tom Brady anymore. Oh, God, please. <laughs> oh, my God. But anyways, uh, tell the fans how they can find you on social media, bud. Yeah, I'm at PFF underscore Eric on all, you know, Instagram, TikTok, and obviously Twitter. Um, I have a podcast called the PFF Forecast, which is every Wednesday and Sunday, uh, which is on PFF YouTube and all that. And then I also have a podcast uh, about the Kansas City Chiefs called Red, Gold, and Bold. Uh, that is on, you know, anywhere you can find your podcast. So uh, thanks for having me on, guys. This is fun. Absolutely. So you're a Broncos fan doing a podcast of the Chiefs. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm not a Broncos fan. I'm a Chiefs fan. Oh, you are a Chiefs fan. I, I did, okay. I, but I, I, I follow the Broncos, obviously, because, you know, it's my job. Yeah, that's oh, okay. job, man. Gotcha. What, are you, what are you trying to say to him, man? He's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. He should be. I mean, you have one of the great young quarterbacks in the NFL. You have uh, arguably the best offensive mind the NFL's ever seen. I mean, why not? Be a Chief fan. Maybe, Speedy, you become a Chief fan. I, you will. You the like anti wearing Chargers. You an- like wearing red. I do not like wearing red. This is the only red shirt I have. Oh, exactly. You wear it every single week. No, I don't. <laughs> that is not true at all. I didn't even know it was mine. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't even know it was his. Anyways, thank you, Eric. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon, my friend.
Eric Eager, ladies and gentlemen, uh, pro football focus, research and development manager. Very nice guy. Knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Really knows his stuff. And has a good personality. Definitely. I, I, I definitely got to check his uh, his podcast out. Um, we could we could hook him up. We could hook him up with some Kansas City ex Kansas City Chiefs. Oh so, yeah. Uh huh. But then again, he, right. he he goes to all these different you know NFL things. So I'm sure he knows a bunch of Chiefs. So uh, thank you to Eric. Uh, at eleven o'clock, we'll be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Estin uh, Jr. So he'll be joining us. So that'll be interesting. We'll talk a lot of Jets with him and his opinion to the whole Zach Wilson situation and. Uh, this team as a whole, because Jermaine Johnson, I did watch uh, the second preseason game, and he played a lot. I'm a little worried about him. I know it's, I know he's young. I know this is his rookie season, but there were things that, to me, stood out against secondary offensive linemen. Hmm. So we'll, we'll get into that probably on Thursday. We're not going to talk about that tonight, but we'll we'll definitely get into the Jets on Thursday. Uh, well, I will talk because when we talk, when we talk uh, to um, Eric, uh, I mean not Eric, uh, Paul, we'll talk a lot of Jets. But it, I, I'm more more interested in what he thinks than what I think. So, anyways, um, let's get into the Nets and the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant saga because that's something very very big here in New York. And I will say this. If you're a Brooklyn Net fan today, I would be happy. The reason why I would be happy is because Kevin Durant, who's one of the best, one of the top five players in the NBA, and Kyrie Irving, who's probably one of the top ten players in the NBA, are still on your team. Why I wouldn't be happy today is because you have a circus in Brooklyn. Now, anybody that follows me on Twitter, and I've started to post things every single day. I wonder, sitting here today and figuring out what this team's going to be this year, how many wins that this team's going to win, is Ben Simmons going to play? And I'm, I'm willing to bet he doesn't play more than 50 games this year. Is Kevin Durant going to be a Brooklyn Net by the trade deadline? Is Kyrie Irving going to think that the earth is round at some point this year. But what we saw so far this offseason is that this team is not controlled by the GM. It's not controlled by the coach. It's not controlled by the owner. It's controlled by two players, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, who pretty much over the last past month, has pressed the Nets to trade him. He does not want to be there. He wanted the GM and the coach to be fired if he was going to stay there. Now, all of a sudden, he's willing to be coached by Steve Nash, and he's willing to stay put and see Sean Marks on how he plans to build this team going into the season. You talk about Kyrie Irving, and there's some crazy things that we've seen so far this offseason. Has anybody watched the a, a couple of podcasts and a couple of YouTube programs he's been on? The man doesn't know when to shut his mouth. The man thinks he knows everything. And the man has his own beliefs on the way a basketball team should be built. 
And for some reason, Kevin Durant won't and said he will not be a part of an organization like the Nets if Kyrie Irving isn't there. The same Kyrie Irving that was partying in a bus during COVID season because he didn't want to get a vaccination. The same Kyrie Irving that was caught doing things in public that I'm not going to mention on live radio. Now, I have a lot of respect for Kyrie Irving, for his talent. He comes from Duke. I I understand who he is as a player. I understand his game. But the man is an idiot. A complete circus freak. And Kevin Durant, (laughs) over the last three years... And, and why he decided to jump ship from Golden State to go to the Brooklyn Nets to team up with Kyrie Irving was an absolute mistake. Because as we saw last year, Golden State wins another championship. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green wins another championship without Kevin Durant. And now, Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets are trying to figure out what this team is, who this team is, and what's the identity going to be going into the season with Steve Nash as a coach, which, by the way, Kyrie doesn't listen to because he has his own practices after, his, after Steve Nash's practices, and Kevin Durant that can't even sit and talk to Steve Nash at the end of the game. For all you Nets fans that think this is just the end of the drama, yeah, you're in for a rude awakening. There's still going to be more. <laughs> this yeah. drama is They not allegedly over. are staying together, at least for the beginning of the season. Congratulations. Well, you still have to overcome so many things. Let's see. Kevin Durant staying healthy. Kyrie Irving staying healthy. Kyrie Irving not saying clownish things on Twitter. Ben Simmons actually playing a game for you and actually showing some level of a work ethic. Kyrie Irving and Steve Nash trying to mend a relationship. Kevin Durant in the front office trying to mend some Speedy, how is that going to work? It's odd. How, how is Steve Nash and Kevin Durant going to work when Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash to be fired? Oh, I'm not implying it's going to work. Believe me. If, this is if I was Steve Nash right now, and I'm one of the greatest point guards to ever play this game, I'm a Hall of Famer, and I'm sitting at that bench right now, and my best player wanted me out as the head coach. How would I feel as the head coach? I know Kevin Durant's not going to listen to me. I know Kevin Durant's not going to hear my plays out when I'm going to call a timeout. He's going to go out there and do whatever he wants. And And he knows he's in control of it. And that's not even getting to the other basketball end of it, too. Yes, those two are great players, no question. But you still have no depth and draft picks and anything else to make trades to actually improve your team, which we knew that was going to happen anyway. But still, you can't be confident in that kind of thing. And Kevin Durant, yeah, he might not be able to be traded now. That doesn't mean he's going to want to be traded at the trade deadline because a lot of these teams that he wanted to go to have these other contract stipulations. And a lot of the newer teams that got rumored right at the last second before this announcement today, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies didn't want to trade any of their top young players. So, good luck, Brooklyn, trying to be able to get any of that. So, all you Nets fans trying to celebrate the fact that, oh, the big three is back. Yeah, okay. Well, if Kevin Durant stays healthy all the way to the trade deadline, he plays in most of the majority of the games. If the Nets are not a playoff team, or he doesn't think that this team is quality or good enough to go and win a championship, I believe Kevin Durant is going to run himself out of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, if he does have a good season, well, then it'll be easier for the Nets to trade him at the trade deadline, especially to the Grizzlies if they think they have a chance with John Morant. Absolutely. Or the Pelicans if they think they have a chance with uh, some of the some of the players that they have over there, like CJ McCollum or somebody like Brandon that. Brandon Ingram, yeah. Brandon Ingram. So maybe adding Kevin Durant over there and trading one of those or two of those players to, to bring in Kevin Durant that can give you a better chance of winning, maybe that will change as the season progressively moves forward. But to me, when you look at this team, how could you sit here today and say, I'm excited for the Nets season? I don't want to hear the Nets fans or the self-proclaimed Nets fans that are really Nick fans. Nets fans. Yeah, that think that this team is good enough or better than they were last year going into this season. Now, I think Ben Simmons is a better defensive player than all the players that they have on that team from last year. I, I really, much. Uh, it's not saying much, but he's a good uh, elite defender in this league. Now he can't shoot. Uh, he's more of a perimeter player. Uh, he can't shoot free throws. Hopefully he learns how to do that in the off season or he's been practicing because he hasn't played. Maybe he has to Who go knows? underhand like Rick Barry does. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but honestly, if this team doesn't start off strong, if this team doesn't win eight of their first ten games, that team is going to have so many things happening off the court. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear Kyrie Irving talking. Then you're going to have Kevin Durant talking. Kevin Durant last year, every time they lost and he had to talk to the press, he, he barely would answer any of the questions. He would sit there. They would ask him a silly question, and he'd say, no comment. Okay, he doesn't like the press over here. He doesn't like being in front of the cameras. Then why did you come here? Why did you come to New York? Because you wanted to play with Kyrie Irving. Do you think that Kyrie Irving, after all the things that you saw your best buddy dealt with in Cleveland, and he could, and, and by the way, the only person that can control Kyrie Irving is LeBron James. The only person, the only player that can control this man. On and off the court. Because even when he played in Cleveland, he wasn't doing things off the court like he's doing right now in Brooklyn. LeBron wouldn't allow it. Kevin Durant's there. He has no control over Kyrie Irving. As a matter of fact, I think Kyrie Irving is the leader of this team, not Kevin Durant. If Kyrie Irving's calling his own practices and Kevin's adjoining him. Right. So, I mean, it's it's embarrassing. This team is an embarrassment. It's Sean Marks. If this team fails this year... Ownership should fire him. I don't know why they think that this team with Kevin Durant and and giving away your future for James Harden, who is now playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, and adding Ben Simmons to this team makes this team any better than they were in the beginning of last season. John says Nets won't win over 60 games. Heck, might even say 52, 55 games. I wouldn't even trust them to win 50 games with the drama that could go on during the season, John. And Carl's saying perimeter player who can't shoot. What? He's a perimeter player. It means he can play in the paint. He could shoot 15-foot jumpers. He could shoot 14-foot jumpers. He can't shoot He can't shoot 17, 18-foot jumpers. That's what I'm saying. He's a perimeter paint player. That's what he is. He doesn't shoot three-point shots, which is 22 22 feet, okay, 21 feet. So, yes, he's a perimeter player. He's a paint player. John says, or for Donovan Mitchell. The only shot the Nets have of getting Donovan Mitchell is they actually trade Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. They're not getting Donovan Mitchell. They're not getting Donovan Mitchell. It's either the Knicks or he's staying with Utah. And 
more than likely, one way or another, the Knicks are going to figure out what they want. They're not going to trade R.J. Barrett. I have a feeling it's going to be Grimes, Obi Toppin, Fournier, and five first-round draft picks. They're going to want one. Correct. What is he? What is he writing uh, out? Carl says perimeter player isn't a paint player. What are you talking about? Where are you referring to more perimeter defender, maybe, but not perimeter no. shooter? He's a perimeter shooter. Where is the perimeter, Carl? What is the perimeter? It's not a three-point line. What is the perimeter? The perimeter of a basketball court. What is it? He says the paint is inside the lane. Yes. I guess you're hearing different terminologies here. (laughs) Okay. What does it matter? Why are you trying to correct me, Carl? What are you trying to do? He could shoot 15 and 16-foot jumpers. He can't shoot 21 and 19-foot jumpers. What do you want to call that? You don't want to call that perimeter shooting? He is not a great perimeter shooter from the seven. How about this? He's not a great perimeter shooter from 70 foot and back. Is that better for you? Is that better for you? Is that better language for you? You can fight over terminologies all you want. Yeah, he's not an NBA range three-point shooter. He's a 16, 15, and and everything from the paint down. That's where he is. Correct. And again, it's not a mid-range game, so it's not valued as much understandably, but still. That doesn't mean he's not capable of shooting a 15-foot shot. He's just not he capable of He has problems anywhere from 17 yeah. and back Correct. shooting a shot. Yeah, which, unfortunately for today's NBA, it doesn't bode well. But still, that doesn't mean he doesn't have that ability to do that kind of thing, too. He just can't shoot three to save his life or a free throw to save his life, which is why he should start shooting underhand. What bothers me about this team as as a whole, it, it's not the three, be- the three better players on the team. Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving and obviously Kevin Durant. That's not what worries me about this team. What worries me about this team is what they have besides them. Their bench, their point guard position. Where are they going to – are they going to have Ben Simmons running the point? Because Kyrie Irving's more of a two. He's more of a shooter, not the point guard. Now, he can ball handle He can ball handle He's one of the better ball handlers in the NBA. But even when he comes up, look at – Look at the points that they score when he brings the ball up. They don't score a lot when, when Kyrie Irving brings the ball up. So I would say Ben Simmons brings the ball up more than Kyrie Irving. I think, he, I think he could, he's a better passer than Kyrie Irving. But besides that, what do they have on their bench? A bunch of old guys? A bunch of old fogies? Oh, I and mean, don't forget about the guy worth the first-round pick, Royce O'Neal. <laughs> Gotta love it. I, I mean, where is this... Where is this team going to be when when the going gets tough, when they have to play the better teams in the Eastern Conference this year four or five times? Yep. The other best-case scenario, Nets fans, is you're going to have to hope for Joe Harris to rebirth himself from what he was maybe three years ago, Ben Simmons to actually play. Then your ne- next best bench player is probably T.J. Warren, but he has a, he's been hurt a lot, and he was had that great season in the bubble, and that was really – that was really his best year, so you're going to have to hope he does that. Patty Mills did okay a little bit last year, but that was really it. Seth Curry, That's what you're hoping for. You have Seth Curry, Patty Mills. Oh, I forgot about Seth Curry. And, yeah. and Nick Claxton. Correct. I forgot about Seth Curry. Joe yeah. Harris can't stay healthy. Don't count on him. T.J. Warren, Cam Thomas, Royce O'Neal. I mean, Kessler Edwards. Uh, half of these players you never even heard of. Correct. I, I mean, honestly, your, your starting rotation, perhaps, Kyrie Irving. Seth Curry as your two. Ben Simmons as your four. Um, Kevin Durant as your, no, Kevin Durant as your four. Ben Simmons as your three. 
and Claxton uh, would be five. Claxton would be a five. Yeah, that, that's it. And then you have Joe Harris, T.J. Warren, Cam Thomas, Royce O'Neal, Kessler Edwards. Half these guys you never even heard of. Carl says rock solid. Patty Mills is rock solid. Yeah, yes, he he's going to start. Not. He's yeah. going to probably start, or he'll be the first person off the bench. Correct. Uh, John says he has trouble from one feet to seven feet, deep for, decent from eight to 16, and ghost after that. I think he is scared to shoot the three. Uh, Carl said a good point on the other places. Lots of questions. Plus rotation will be important, but hard to say what that will look like right now. Uh, what are you, uh, John says, what are your thoughts on Miami bringing Udonis Haslam back for a 20th season? He'd take up a spot on the bench, yeah, but he's only making $2.5 million a year. But only sh- $2.5 million. <laughs> Can you imagine making $2.5 million and never have to stepping on the court? <laughs> That's what happens when you're uh, 40 years old and the Heat's uh, longest tenured player in their franchise history. Yes, even over Dwayne Wade. That's uh, crazy. Um, yeah, you're only making $2.5 million, but I'm sure you could find someone that could put up more than four points for cheaper. Uh, Snug says Royce the five uh, the five nine and Royce the five nine. He's a rapper. Okay. Uh, Carl says legacy roster spot, <laughs> extra coach and mentor on the bench. I'm good with it in reference to Haslam. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely interesting where my first of all Haslam's only there for you know coaching and and being a players players coach. That's why he's there. Right. I, I mean he's making two point five million because Pat Riley loves him. And if he's not on the bench as a player coach, he'd probably be on the bench as a coach. Right. So uh, having a player's coach there that actually could still play is, is not bad, but you're not going to see Haslam on the court. You're going to see him yeah. maybe four or five times all season long on the court. Maybe when they're they're beating a team mercifully. I was going to say, maybe, maybe if the Heat have a playoff series and they clinch it at home, they might put him in the final minute of the game or something like that. He's making a lot of money, but that's just because Pat Riley loves him, and he, he's one of Pat Riley's favorites. That's it. As far as the Miami Heat are concerned, they're, they have to worry about Tyler Hero, who they haven't signed yet. And Tyler Hero, I'm very surprised that no team has gone for him. Now, is he an unrestricted or restricted free agent? I, I'm not positive. I think he's a restricted free agent. So they still have control to match. They could still match whatever any team offers him, right? Yeah. Being uh, for, that he's restricted. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one it is for sure. But, yeah, Miami he would be able to match anything. But the way that Tyler Hero wants to get paid, he wants to pay like a starter. So we'll, we'll see on that. So we're, we're, we're going to find out what he yeah. if he's a restricted or unrestricted free agent. I'm pretty sure he's restricted, and that's why yes, no team. Yes, he is restricted. Yeah. So they have control. So nobody's offered Tyler Hero uh, a significant contract. And then if they do, they have, I think, 48 to 72 hours to match it. Mm-hmm. So um, Tyler Hero, as of right now, is going nowhere. And what they're going to do is they're going to wait until the preseason starts and then – being that nobody's going to offer him that money, they're going to give him whatever they want to give him. Right now, they'll the con- give him ten million or twelve million, and yeah. he'll have to play like that. The contract option, which I guess Hero has a right to be upset about, is only five point seven million dollars. So yeah, he's definitely worth at least double of that, I would imagine. But he also wants to be paid like a starter, which would probably mean either the smallest level of the max or the highest level of the non-max contracts. Which I don't know if Miami would be willing to give him, considering his inconsistency, not necessarily in the shooting, but the other elements of his game that really hasn't grown since his great rookie year and that's going to be the question of whether they give it to him uh carl says always better in reference to royce the rapper always better than the game's diss track of eminem 10 no question. 10 minutes of the worst bars ever uh john says contract extension worth as much as 188 million over five years of the first year salary 2023 2024 of 32.5 million. who's that for 
John, you'll have to specify who that's for. Uh, Snug said, I actually heard the Miami Heat. <laughs> Miami Heat is actually a coach on the Miami Heat staff. No way. I think he's in charge of weed and booger sugar. <laughs> I, I think that the Eastern Conference is going to be very interesting this year because there's quite a few teams that are going to be better, especially the Atlanta Hawks. Yes. Uh, so Tyler Hero he's talking about. Oh, it is Tyler Hero. Right. So, so that's what Tyler Hero would be eligible for, I guess, in terms of the first level of a max contract because it's his yes. – Have they offered him that? Which they have not offered, no. So now, I think that's just what the minimum restriction is because I remember that I was reading something with uh, with John Moran. He's not eligible for the super max yet, but he's eligible for the first level of max. I think that's what Tyler Hero is eligible for is that first level. Tyler of the Hero max is not contract. even anywhere close to a John. Agreed. Morant. But I, I, what I'm saying is I, that's what that's what they're eligible for right now. Whether I understand what you're saying. Whether they whether they get it, they're is not question. even close to one Correct. another. I mean, John Moran is arguably the best point guard in the NBA, and mm-hmm. Tyler Hero, who's I guess two guard. He's yeah. probably, I would say, 18th or 17th best two guard in the NBA, maybe. Yeah. And that's right. that's maybe if he's lucky. I, I right. mean, I haven't really looked at all yeah, the two been Yeah, he's been inconsistent, too, which doesn't help his case either. So that's what he's technically eligible for right now. But Miami being, again, Miami's going to realize that his production might not be worth that kind of thing. We'll see if another team bites on that kind of thing. But that would be, because remember, you have the extra year with your own team, too. That's where the five years would come in, if that's the case. But the max could still be in effect with other teams, too, where it would drop a little bit. Boston, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, all these teams are going to be better this year. All of them. And if the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell, yeah, they're a better team this year. I mean, I don't know how much better they're going to be, but if you had Donovan Mitchell and and some of the acquisitions they made in the offseason, uh, Jalen Brunson being another, that that's a pretty good offseason. And they, and they did – I have some good draft picks. I mean, second-round picks, but right. not first-round picks. But <laughs> oh, they got draft picks stashed for other years, too. It would depend on what they trade for Donovan Mitchell, hypothetically. They're going to trade away all of them away. I, that's what's going to happen. There, yeah, there's the no way Danny way. Age wants it, yeah. Well, they just offered Obi Troppin, uh, Obi Troppin, Obi Toppin and uh, Fournier and five first-round draft picks, and they weren't happy with that. Mm-hmm. So what does he want? And, and more than likely, he, he wants Obi Toppin quickly – or Grimes in that in that trade and Fournier because you're taking away a contract because you got to add Donovan right. Mitchell's contract yeah. uh-huh. and in five maybe even six first round draft picks that's what he wants and for the fact that he turned that down and I think that's a absolute steal of a deal I mean Obi Toppin could be a guy that can give you twenty and ten mm-hmm. and um, Fournier, Fournier could give you about fifteen points on and off the bench right. and 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 then obviously you're getting five first round draft picks. And, and and I think two of them are going to be unprotected, so that that's a pretty good trade for for the the Utah Jazz. Who, by the way, their play doesn't want to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. So Carl says Donovan Mitchell seen dining on Fifth Avenue with Zach Wilson's after Zach Wilson's rehab treatment. Suck says I do love the greatness in green. Carl says Bulls will be more consistent, and yeah, that's it. Donovan Mitchell's been hanging a lot, hanging out a lot in New York. That's for sure. He was yep. at Rucker Park with Fat Joe recently. He's been here. He's been hanging out here. So, obviously, in the offseason, his family lives over here. His, you know, his whole family lives over here in New York. But he's been, you know, being seen in so many different areas uh, in New York. And with a lot of the Nick players and a lot of these, uh, you know, New York rappers. So, who knows where Donovan Mitchell's going. But... More than likely, the Knicks are going to figure this out. It's not, it's, it's not a dead conversation. Right. It's it just 
they're not trying to get ripped off by Danny Ainge, who Correct. always seems to rip everybody off for players. Yep, they're not falling into the trap just because Danny Ainge is with a different team. All of a sudden, he's going to be less aggressive in terms of pursuing this. He was, We just were talking about a couple weeks ago. He was looking for, for six first-round picks and R.J. Barrett. I mean, seriously, that's so unrealistic for any player that isn't probably Luka Doncic or Giannis at this point in the league. Uh, Carl says, snug no with the NYC <laughs> MILFs, referring to Zach Wilson, I guess. Mm. But, yeah, D- Donovan Mitchell's been at the Mets. You're saying at the Mets games. You're I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're a Knicks fan, you, you should be upset with this because the Knicks are going to do exactly what Danny Ainge wants. In the long run, they're going to do everything that he wants because they're going to give him more draft picks or – the players that they don't want to give up for Donovan Mitchell because they want Donovan Mitchell that much more than half the teams that are willing to trade all those pieces away. You wonder, too, at what point will the price drop where Donovan Mitchell is going to be like just completely unhappy because the Knicks... Yeah, they're not going to lose leverage. They're still going to be the favorite, but that'll put some other teams back in the mix that might not have been able to trade, say, f- four first-round picks and two young players, for example. If the price all of a sudden drops because Danny Ainge realizes that Donovan Mitchell is essentially holding out and forcing his way out at this point, when the season starts, in preseason about a month, and then the regular season will start in October, they're going to lose like half the leverage that you have now, which is already pretty unrealistic to begin with, but still, it's going to be very hard for you to make up that kind of production in terms of what you'll get back with the draft picks, too. You did well with the Gobert trade, okay, fine, but if you lose out badly in the Mitchell trade, it'll cancel each other out, where I don't know if that's really the way you want to rebuild the team. No, and I don't think if I was the Knicks right now and I was running this team with Leon Rose or I was uh, Worldwide West or any of the guys that they have right now in management... I would not give up R.J. Barrett. I would not give up. I w- would not give up Mitchell Robinson. And and if you look at the big picture, if you're giving away five first round draft picks, you got to make sure that the players that you're trading away make sense so you can re-sign Donovan Mitchell. Carl says to your earlier point, Errol, crazy how in New York you could be a fan of the Yankees and be spoiled, and as you guys reference, and also a fan of the Knicks in the muddle of ineptitude. John says Utah wants R.J. Barrett, Robinson, and two first rounds for Donovan, but Nick would Knicks give up Randall. Knicks would rather give up Randall and two picks. You're gonna have to give up some young player in the deal, John. Uh, Snuck says Fat Joe and I go to Weight Watchers meetings on Mondays, and then afterwards we go crush a dozen of Kenny's special cupcakes. Oh mm. God, we, do we really want wax infused cupcakes, Snuck? Interesting. <laughs> Again, that was my cup before our turkey dinner at this rate. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> Four years overdue, Kenny. Uh, to me, w- when you look at where the Knicks are and where the Utah Jazz are, the season, the preseason's about to start in two weeks. I think two and a half weeks you're going to see preseason games for the NBA. This trade has to happen before the preseason because Donovan Mitchell needs to go to practices. He needs to get acclimated with the players that he's playing with and, and figure, you know, obviously move his family over here to back to New York. Cause he's got, you know, a girlfriend or a fiance. And I, I does he have kids? I think he has a kid. I'm not positive. He has children, but uh, nevertheless, I think Donovan Mitchell needs to get settled in here in New York. So you can't just, Hey, you know what? I'm going to trade away. I, I'm going to trade away all these pieces. I'm going to wait to the last minute. And then Donovan Mitchell has to come over here, has to get acclimated and, and, and the Knicks want him here as soon as possible. They want him to figure out. They want to figure out um, where they're going to play him. You know, is he going to play the one? Is he going to play the two? 
again, the Knicks are going to have the probably the smallest secondary uh, the, the one and twos in the NBA. Right, you're essentially starting two point guards. Because if you get Donovan Mitchell, he's six one six two. If you put him at the two, Bronson's five ten at best, five eleven. So you have two really small backcourt players, two guards. So it, it, the question is, are they going to be able to play better defense with these better offensive players? Yeah, and That'll be it for Tom Thibodeau. To Tom manage, Thibodeau, yeah. who's a defensive-minded coach. Right. If he can manage it to make it work, maybe in more offense-defense direct swaps to substitutions that are quicker, maybe within a minute apart type thing, to make that kind of thing work and manage the timeouts. Because in the NBA, you've got seven timeouts, so it's it's pretty easy to be able to manage it if you could do it properly in a 48-minute game. But in this case, especially with the Knicks having essentially two point guards, which I've always been a, a component of a dual point guard system. I always believe in not wearing out, trying to wear out one guy with with what we see with especially these injuries now. So I, I'm good in that front. But, yeah, the defense is definitely concerning if that's the case, especially if they have to trade a lot of ple- mm. uh, young players going back the other way. Mm. Uh, Carl says NBA preseason is October. I think September 30th is some game in Japan. Uh, Snook says the real question When's is When's the preseason start? Uh, he says September 30th, it looks like. is So it would be October. Uh, so if there's an exhibition, I think he's saying there's an exhibition game in Japan, which I know baseball's done that in the past, too. And it's I thought the preseason starts, you know, in the middle of September. I you, I think that's usually when the training camps start. Mm. Um, yeah, September September 30th is the first day that's listed, yeah. Uh, there is an exhibition in the Japan with the Clippers and some team called Maccabi Rana. Uh, it's an international team. And then go, uh, the Warriors are playing Washington. That's the first official day of the preseason. Yeah, I think it's the training camps that start then. Thank you, Carl, for that clarification. Uh, no snug, a hot dog is not a sandwich. And John says, before before Jets guy come on, Jets discuss Mackay Becton hurt again, broke kneecap, stretching ligaments, injury prone. Would you trade him next year? Dwayne Brown has picked up to replace him. No, I, I would not trade Mackay Becton, and I'll tell you why I wouldn't trade him. Because you have control for control for him in for for the fourth year and the fifth year option, and if he does play well for the fourth and fifth year, you don't have to overpay him. You know what I'm saying? So, because he's missed so many so much time in 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 year one. Well, year one he played a lot. Yes. he became the big hit, big ticket. But year two and year three, he's been hurt with the knee problems. Nobody's going to give him a big offer. Nobody's right. going to overpay for Mackay Beckham. So that could actually work out for the New York Jets. So if I were the Jets, if he has a good year four and year five, I'd re-sign him. Don't give him a big, huge extension. A lot of these offensive linemen now with the, the contracts that are moving up now, he could be making up to $25 million a year. Right. I don't think the Jets are going to have to pay him that. They'll yeah. probably, if he has a good year next year and the year after that, and maybe you shift him to the guard position. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying, too, because I was worried about the way he would come back. That I know the Jets' roster structure is not ready for that right now, but if Dwayne Brown does play well and George Font plays well, maybe that would be an option because Dwayne Brown does have a second year on that deal. That could be the best-case scenario. Now, obviously, you still got some other guys there, too. Dwayne Brown still believes that Mekhi Beckham is, is a starter and an elite uh, offensive tackle in this league. Right. The other thing, too, is if he comes back as a right tackle, which seems like is what he was going to come back as this year, that might be less as well, Having rather than having to pay him as a left tackle, where the Jets could be able to balance out their line differently that way, too. Because I know Lakin Tomlinson got Elijah Vera Tucker still on his rookie contract, and then George Font and Dwayne Brown are on pretty good contracts, considering how well they've played in recent years. Their value is, is very good right now. So I agree with I agree with you, John. I would say there's definitely no need to trade 
Makai Becton whatsoever. You're not going to get him on a, on a better value of the player that we know he could be from what you saw in his rookie year. Uh, Carl says dual point guard. Say that to John Stockton with a different era. No, I'm talking about like having two guys that are point guards in the backcourt. I wasn't talking about guys that could do that, that like that. Uh, as Errol says, Chris Paul, the last true point guard. Mm-hmm. And then uh, John says, thoughts on Jets backup. I'm sorry Flacco is not the long-term answer. I like the Shreveler kid. In my opinion, Mike White is getting cut. I don't believe Mike White will be cut because of what he did last year. Hmm. I, I, I don't see it. Now, he's played well. And, and look, I don't know what Aaron Boone is doing. Because Schmidt has not pitched well in this inning. Now he has pitched bases loaded to the Mets when there was two outs and nobody on base. And now the Mets have a chance to tie this game because Aaron Boone decided to keep him in too long. Wow, he had 60 pitches already? Wow. I, I know he's used to be a star at fine, but still, that's very surprising. Horrible, horrible the move. Bullpen horrible move by Aaron Boone. Chaos, and this could cost yeah. him the game. It's definitely surprising considering the bullpen chaos the Yankees have been going through. But, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think Mike White maybe could be traded. He's not just going to be caught just because of that. Because they were thinking about even trading him in the offseason last year off his hot stretch that he had in the middle of the season. So I, think, I definitely don't think cut, maybe traded. I don't know what you'll get for him. It'd probably be only like a fifth-round, sixth-round pick. But still, it could be worthwhile. They're not cutting, plays that they're well. not cutting Mike White. The, the kid uh, – Who's he talking about? Chris Streveler, who played well Strebler. in that first preseason game. He yeah. played well in the second one, too. Okay. He played very well. It, it doesn't matter. They're not going to keep him. And if they do keep him, he'll be on the practice team. Mm. He's, not, he's not making this team. They're going to keep Mike White, unfortunately. Now, yes, the bases are loaded, and it's two outs, and the Mets are going to get a hit. They're going to tie this game, and they're going to lose. The Yankees are going to lose this game because Aaron, po- Aaron Boone made a mistake and kept Schmidt in too long. And I, I've said it. Once once Schmidt got into trouble and he walked uh the, the third batter, he should have pulled him. And this is this this is where I, I I attack Aaron Boone. I am I am a big Aaron Boone supporter, but what he does in certain games on why I understand he wants to show the pitchers that he trusts them, but you could have cost your team another win. And you're definitely not gonna see Schmidt for at least two more games after that, because sixty pitches is I, almost half of what a starter gets, probably even more than half of what a starter gets in today's game. So you, you're going to need a lot of time off. So try to go, good luck trying to manage the rest of your bullpen. Who's up right now? Who's after Marte? I'm trying to find out. Lindor? It's, prob- it's probably Lindor. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's after Marte. Yeah, it's definitely Lindor. Um, oh, wonderful. So they're trying to sw- switch him to the right side, which is his more powerful side, too. So that's kind of bizarre in their own sense, too. I think Lindor is a better average on the left side, but more home runs. So, or more home runs and more extra base hits on the right. So... This is int- this is definitely interesting. I know you said Holmes went to the IL too, which doesn't help. And the rest of the bullpen's kind of been a carousel because of that. And this is a, this was a terrible move by Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone should be ashamed of himself on this because if the Yankees lose this game, this is Aaron Boone's fault, not the Yankees. It's Aaron Boone's fault. He kept the kid in. The kid didn't have anything left in the ninth inning. They're up four to two. Why did you Why did you decide to keep him in? Now, the kid's sitting here, and he's probably saying, you know what, I screwed up, and if I lose this game, you know, uh, I might be sent down. 
I don't know if I would go that far. Why? But. He hasn't pitched. A, he, he, this is the first game I've seen Schmidt pitch well in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's just they don't have a lot of other good options right now with the other guys having trouble right now in the second half of the season, too. The Yankees' bullpen has been kind of out of whack since they've started shifting different roles all of a sudden, and they haven't had any consistency outside of probably Lecky in the second half, which is not a good What sign. is the umpire doing right now? It's I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> this baseball... This game is going to be interesting because I'm telling you right now, Aaron Boone is going to be booed if they lose this game. Mm-hmm. If the Yankee fans could boo Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner, yeah, definitely. I, I'd be pissed off if I'm it, it, like again, if I'm a Yankee fan right now, I'd be worried because you, you have a cold pitcher going in and bases loaded. Mm-hmm. And again, they're hostile. They're going to get there. That was a ball, the, by the way, in that kind in that kind of atmosphere. He's two for three with a solo home run against Wandy. So. Yeah. So okay. So even from an analytics standpoint, I don't know what the, I don't know what that is. Unless they have all these other pitchers that are unavailable, I'm not sure on the, the bullpen situation from last game. But still, very surprising. Now uh, it's two strikes. But here we go again. Now you have two strikes. Why didn't Wandy get put, brought in before this? Wandy's. Been I think more, it's a weird move. Regardless, more, Wandy's <laughs> been more one of the more consistent relief pitchers for the Yankees. He has been. So um, it's surprising. And there it is. Foul. Oh, my God. That's painful. <laughs> that is painful. But, yeah, even though just the, statistically speaking, the move is questioning both of them, just in general. It's like, it doesn't make sense. Lidora is a better batting average from the left side of the plate. Okay, I guess that's a little understandable. But still, Wandy Peralta grants a small sample size. Struggling against Lindor in his career. Definitely interesting. Uh, John says, almost hit him in the knee. That that was a ball. And Snug says, let's go Mets. Clap, 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 clap. Figures. And that might. Nope, that's foul as well. Using, that, <sighs> using the sliders a lot against Lindor. I hate watching the Yankees when they're not playing well because if they, if every game that they win, if they squeak by. They, they, they don't win by more than a run or two. When they're not playing well, you know the Yankees aren't playing well. <laughs> well, yeah. When the Yankees aren't playing well, they'll lose one nothing or 3 nothing or whatever. I will say this. Peralta is not striking out Lindor. So... They're, it doesn't look like he's trying to. He's throwing all low stuff, which I think he's trying to get a ground ball. But he's an off-speed pitcher anyway. I think the highest he throws is 92 because he's like 36 years old now. Anyways, uh, but to get back to what we were talking about, and I, I want to get off of basketball, but Donovan Mitchell is not going to be a Nick for at least the next week. The Knicks are going to have to come to some kind of agreement one way or another with Danny Ainge, and Danny Ainge might win on this trade. Oh, pop up. And that's game. This could be game. Well, we've seen crazier things happen, but yes. Well, yes, yeah, Luis Castillo, you're going to go there. <laughs> Subway series. And I, will, and I will say this. Schmidt, Schmidt did not look good in the ninth inning, and Aaron Boone is going to be questioned by the press. Why was that kid in after he walked the third batter? Why, what was the point? I know there was two outs. You trust the kid. You want to give the, guy, the kid more confidence, but he got lucky. He got lucky because, yes. And by the way, for all the Yankee fans saying, oh, we swept the Mets in Yankee Stadium as the Mets swept the Yankees in City Field, who cares? Yeah, even split. All the home teams win. Who cares? Okay. Uh, John says, 
I, you tell a team that I've been letting pe- telling people to watch right before the All-Star break is the Cards playing very good and my Braves team playing very good also. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely watch out for the Cardinals too, especially in Albert Pujols' final season, Yanni Merlina. Like, they might be playing for something, and they're pitching a lot better in the second half now. Yeah. And somebody, uh, Jordan Montgomery, uh-huh. is 4-0 and and has like a, what is it, a 1.56 ERA? <laughs> just had a Maddox yesterday. 99 pitch, complete game shutout. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, Grant, it's against the Cubs, but still. It doesn't matter. It's today's he's, baseball. That's unheard he's of. He's 4-0, okay, as a Cardinal, and he has a 1.56 ERA with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals <laughs> know how to make to rebirth pitcher as well. Well, rebirth. Not, not, not rebirth. That's, you're right. That's a bad word. But he was a good pitcher. The Cardinals know how to de- definitely get the best out of pitchers is what I'm, what I'm more meant to say. I, I mean, I thought Jordan Montgomery was pitching well. I mean, yeah, no, he, he was, was back and forth this year. Yeah, you're right. Rebirth. At one point, word. at right. one point before the All Star break, he, he had a two ERA. Right. In the American <laughs> League, in one of the hardest divisions of baseball. Yeah, rebirth is the wrong word, but definitely could get the best out of them with what he's done with the Cardinals so far. Uh, John says Goldschmidt MVP. Yes. Right now, he absolutely is. And Snug in says, the National League. Well, yeah, obviously. Point uh, three five ERA. Snug says with the Cardinals now after the complete game. Shut I out. doubt it's point three five. Uh, Snug says if the Yanks don't hit a home run, they don't win. Look up the stat. Uh, uh, John says Josh Hader was a good pitcher before the trade. Now he's sixteen point two ERA. Yes, he has had his trouble with. Well, the Well, he has his, so he's had his trouble, but he he will get confident again. Relief pitchers are you know are hit or miss, and and Josh Hader has been really as good as any relief pitcher in baseball. Yep. The thing is, is when you get traded to another team, you're in another ballpark. You have to get you know comfortable being where you are. Right. So I think as the season progressively moves forward, he will figure things out. Yeah, he is still the best relief pitcher in baseball. Yeah, and he's too valuable. You just have to figure out a best way to use him too, because he could. He doesn't have to be just a closer. The he Padres hasn't haven't played well. Right, they really haven't since yeah. the trade of Juan Soto and Hater. Yeah. And, and everybody thought everybody thought that this was going to change everything in the National League. It hasn't. Right. But I still think the Padres don't make the playoffs, and nobody's going to want to play the Padres. Yeah. No matter how well or how bad they're playing, because all the Padres need to do is get hot. Mm-hmm. And we have seen teams, aka the Atlanta Braves. They get hot at the right time, and they're almost unstoppable to beat. And who's not going to stay as hot as they were? The Phillies. So there's your playoff spot. The Brewers, I still think with their pitching, could definitely make it too. But again, they're still not really a great playoff identity. And then you got the Braves. I think the Braves, you're, I know you're a Braves fan, John. I think they'll be fine. They've kind of separated themselves from the rest of the wild card teams, even if they don't catch up to the Mets. The Braves are going to be fine. Yeah. Everybody expects the Braves, the Mets, the Cardinals, uh, the Dodgers, those are the those are the teams that are going to make the playoffs as of right now. And then the wild cards, you you, you talk about the Padres. Um, it's the Padres, Phillies, and Brewers. That's really it. Phillies and the Brewers. Yeah. I mean, it, it can go. One of those teams are not going to make right. Which right That's now it. is as of right now is the Brewers. But I I still trust them a little more than the Phillies just with their pitching. I think the Phillies will make the playoffs, and right. I think the Phillies are going to surprise a lot of people. And and we have seen this before. We talk about the Braves. Why can't why can't the Phillies be one of the talk of the t- be the talk of the town and and make the playoffs and make a run? I I could see that happening. I I've seen crazier things in baseball. John says, "Do you think Seattle can make an upset in the playoffs?" Uh, yes. It's possible if the Yankees play Seattle. If the Seattle the Seattle Mariners get out of the wild card game and they match up against the Yankees, I'd be worried huh, if I was a Yankee fan. I also would say this too because if the Mariners Castillo, make the- I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to cut you off, Castillo. Since he's been traded to the Seattle the Seattle Mariners, he's played the Yankees twice. He's beat them both. Mm-hmm. He's beat them both times. And and this year he's played the Yankees three times and he's beat them all three times. 
Wow. No, that's right. The Yankees losing that two out of three against the Reds. That's right. But yeah, John, especially I think two also if they because if they make the playoffs, it'll be a four five matchup. They could I think they could beat the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays pitching is very questionable too. I like Seattle's pitching a lot more. Uh, Tampa's going to be a that might be a tougher one. If they play the Orioles, I think they'll beat the Orioles if they somehow make the playoffs, even though it would be a nice story. So yeah, they could definitely win a round, I think, in the playoffs. And then it's just a matter of can they be pesky the rest of the way? Because I don't think anyone's expecting them to make a surprise run because it's a young team, but still inexperience is not negative experience, especially when it comes to baseball, where you definitely see some sleeper teams make runs deeper than a lot of people expect. Usually besides probably besides hockey more than any other sport. Uh, Carl says, don't sleep on the talent of Schwarbs. Nobody's sleeping on Kyle Schwarber. And by the way, all the people that were booing Brian Cashman, the two players that had good, a good, a really good game against the Mets tonight, Ben attendee who, who had the game winning hit. And uh, Montas, who was the – I don't know if he won the game tonight. Uh, I'm not sure if he was on the mountain, but he, he had pitched a, very well. He though. pitched very well yeah. against a very good lineup. Yeah. I, yeah, I think he got a no decision, too. I don't know when they scored the run. But he, he had the, he got out of jam in the first inning and then was just cruising along two through five. I think he had seven strikeouts. Yeah, so, I, yeah, so he was very consistent after that. Whether he got the win or not, I'm, I'm not sure because I don't know when the Yankees scored the runs to take the lead. Uh, Stuck says the Dodgers are an amazing team. Yes, we know. <laughs> They're always an amazing team. <laughs> they haven't been not been an amazing team since, what, 2013? And Schwar- Schwarber has had 12. a great season. Yes, he yes, has. Absolutely. And that's why he was an all-star, and that's why he was in the home run derby, which he absolutely uh, failed to oh. hit home runs <laughs> against uh, Albert Pujols, I yeah. think it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's not exactly the stamina type. And I, I, I'll admit I was wrong. I actually picked him to win. But Six strikes. Now, now I learned he's not the stamina type. <laughs> Yes, thank you, John. So, uh, I mean, that's probably the best start we've seen Frankie Montas had since he's been traded to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully, we'll see better games as we move forward. Again, going to the Yankees, going to a, a hitting ballpark, it, it's not easy to step on New York Yankees, the Yankee Stadium field and expect to pitch well. I mean, he didn't even start his first game in Yankee Stadium. It was with against the Cardinals, I yeah, think it was. At St. Louis, yeah. And 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 the Cardinals killed him and they crushed him. But he also came from a family's funeral Correct. from that. So maybe his head's not in the game over the last couple of weeks. So maybe he figures things out. He figures his pace and 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 the Yankees start to uh move forward. I mean they've won three games in a row. Right. So that's a good sign. But Aaron Boone said what he said a couple of day, you know, a couple of days ago and, and it attacked some of the hitters and attacked this this pitching staff. Maybe Aaron Boone opened his mouth. But Aaron Boone, if they lost this game, it would have been all on Aaron Boone in this game because yeah. he kept Schmidt in too long, who had a very good game. I mean he pitched I think he pitched from the seventh inning on. Right. And they didn't they didn't bring any other relief pitcher in, which was great. Well, yeah, they're going to have to make a decision to manage the bullpen the rest of the game. So I guess they were just trying to do it against the Mets. I'm not sure who they play next, but maybe they were trying to do it against they the They have a day opponents. off. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. The Mets have a day off, too, yeah, because it's only a two-game series. So that definitely helps. But you still – 60 pitches, you still might Well, expect down. Chapman in, ga- you know, in the next game. Yeah. Expect uh, some of the – Loisica and all those other guys. Right. Uh, Carl says, how about pool holes at 693 home runs? Put him out there against every left po- lefty possible, and he's a chance at 700. Uh, John says, does Pujols get to 700 this season? Going to be close. I think he'll get there because he's also playing more, a lot more often than he did in the first half of the season. And he's hitting fifth and sixth in a lot of games this year, too. So it's not like he's hitting in the back end of the lineup either. Uh, yes, Carl, if he does see enough lefty pitching, absolutely. Snug says, it depends on if they give him abs against righties. No, Snug, he's in his final year, they're not going to juice. 
What are your thoughts to this Lamar Jackson thing? I think at this point, the Ravens are doing everything right, and it just seems like he doesn't want to be there at this point because I think the offer is more than fair. It's slightly above what Kyler Murray got, and yes, he might not be a better overall talented quarterback than Kyler Murray, but he's been more durable in his career, and he still has he won an MVP. And he Why still, doesn't he want to be on one of the better teams in the NFL? Yeah, which is what I don't get. That, that's what I'm thinking. And they practically built that whole offense around him. That right. offensive line, all the drafting, all the free agents that they brought in, they traded Brown because he didn't fit that offensive right. style of game. They traded away practically the, some of their star offensive linemen uh, and, and let let some of their offensive linemen go because they didn't fit the Lamar Jackson offense. Yeah, and I, be- I was in under the belief for a while that the Ravens and Lamar Jackson would eventually compromise, but this kind of thing, the Ravens did actually a lot more, were actually a lot more aggressive than I thought, and it shows that they're definitely evolving with the modern quarterback market. So that's why I'm even more surprised that he would have turned that kind of thing down. So that leads me to believe there's something, I don't know if it's with John Harbaugh, I don't know if it's with their new general manager, because remember, Ozzie Newsom retired, and he was the one drafted Lamar Jackson. I don't know if he's had a trouble with Eric DaCosta, the way he's built the team, but the Ravens have had very similar strengths to when Ozzie Newsom was there. Uh, the one thing they couldn't draft was wide receivers, and maybe that's hurt them in terms of trying to be able to win playoff games in the modern era, but they're so good at drafting everything else. So I, I don't know if that's what Lamar wants. He wants more of an air raid type offense with the receivers maybe because that's a lot of money you're turning down. Well, also, if he becomes a free agent next year, where is he going to go? How many teams need a quarterback? Now, he could go to the Miami Dolphins if they decide to part ways with Tua, but if, right. if Tua doesn't have a good season, they're probably going to draft a quarterback. Uh, that would probably – does Miami have a draft pick? No, they lost their first-round draft pick yeah. next year. <laughs> so, Good job, Stephen Ross. <laughs> so maybe Lamar Jackson fits over there in Miami. Does he want to go and play in Miami? Now, Miami will pay him. Will they pay oh, him yeah. $230 million? I don't know. That's a lot of money yeah. for a running quarterback, uh, not uh, an accurate passing quarterback. Now, Lamar Jackson has been has won an MVP. He has been in the playoffs. He's only, I think, won one game one in playoff the playoffs. One playoff game, and again, he did play great. So, so – He's not He's not a proven playoff quarterback. So the questions are really going to lie if he could take this Baltimore Ravens team into the playoffs and far into the playoffs. Now, if Lamar Jackson has one of those outrageously great seasons where he's an MVP candidate and then takes them all the way to the AFC title game or wins, uh, goes to the Super Bowl this year, well, then he bet on himself, and good for him. He's going to make himself a lot of money. But if he doesn't get there and he doesn't win a playoff game this year – I, I think that he's going to lose this offer, and he's going to wind up. I, I don't know. He's not going to be. He's not going to. Well, he'll wind up a Baltimore Raven because they still have control of him. Well, they don't have to give him that extension, or they can offer him less. Yeah, and again, it might come to the point where you ha- you see these quarterbacks that the relationships get sour more and more with the front offices if they don't want franchise tags or they don't want to give extensions because these quarterbacks want to get paid right away too, and eventually that thing hurts it. When you look at somebody like Kirk Cousins, when you look at somebody like Matthew Stafford. These guys all had sour relationship ending. Russell Wilson, who just got traded, all had a sour ending to what were, besides Matthew Stafford, who played for the Lions, that all had pretty good offense. Kyler Murray teams. had uh, you know, a lot of back and forth with the right. management, and everybody thought he was going to be traded. Then he, got a, he, 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 he was offered a very good contract, and he took it. He's making $43 million a year. I, I would be happy, too, making $40 million or more every single year. And uh, just because he had one bad playoff game against – the Super Bowl champion. Right. And 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 to me, I, I believe Kyler Murray, because he's such a competitive person, next year 
if they, I mean, this year, if they make the playoffs, I expect him to go out there and show everybody how great he really is. Because this year they have weapons. Now, obviously, we don't know what Brown, what they're going to do with Brown, what the NFL is going to do with Brown, with the DWE that he got uh, right. a couple of weeks ago. And then Hopkins uh, getting suspended for six games. But when these guys come back and if they're anywhere, uh, you know, remember, they're in the NFC, which is very, very weak. If they're anywhere close to the play, a playoff position and they get those guys back, Kyler Murray is going to have himself a very, very fun time on that field because you have two very speedy wide receivers, two guys that can catch, and again, he's play, he, he will be playing with one of his better friends. So is, I'm not going to say his best friend because I don't know how close they really are, but they're very close. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be interesting. And, and with Lamar Jackson, I was very – surprised that he didn't take that $230 million contract because, uh, first of all, he doesn't have an agent. There is no renegotiating this when the season begins because he already said he's not going to negotiate another contract when the season starts. So if he doesn't take this contract, which is a very good contract, it's a top top three contract in NFL history, he doesn't want to take – he's not the top three – he's not a top three, top four quarterback in this league. And he's making – that type of money. Why wouldn't you take that contract? Now, he must be betting on himself because he believes there are other teams that might be interested in him. But again, is Lamar Jackson worth the money that he's getting paid? Baltimore thought he was because they built their team. They built their offense around him. But there are other teams that have not done that. You think Miami's going to build their offense in one year over you know around Lamar Jackson? They won't. He is not an accurate quarterback. Go look at his accuracy as a quarterback. It's not good. It's one of the worst in the league. Uh, Snook says, I, like, I wonder if Kyler likes to watch game film. What if Miami traded Tua to the Lions so that Hawaiian Tebow could wear the Honolulu blue jerseys? Uh, John says, Lamar Jackson's not I, – I, I don't know, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, I'm willing to bet that he's not uh, – his accuracy is not even in amongst the top 15, top 16 quarterbacks. I ever. would say definitely not on outside routes because he's always been more of a middle-of-the-field type guy. Uh, when Even when he's in his MVP year, a lot of his touchdown passes were in that area. And, yes, he's had a big arm, but he's always had deep accuracy inconsistencies as well. So I would definitely say at least outside, if you want to – a lot of metrics have it split the field left, middle, right. There's he, he probably is doubts at the top 15, at least one of those. Uh, John says, imagine you switch these quarterbacks, Carr on the Ravens and Lamar on the Rears. Which team would lose more? Hmm. I don't know. I think Baltimore wins. I, I think Baltimore yeah, is better probably. built. I, I, they have the better management. They have the better coach. I, I mean – we don't know what Josh McDaniels is. That's why. That's why I don't trust it. We, we really don't. I know he's a good offensive coordinator. We've seen a lot of good offensive coordinators become coaches. Every, I'll name it. Romeo Cornell. Okay, yeah. was a great defensive coordinator. Always, everywhere he's ever been, he's always been a good defensive coordinator. He has been a coach two or three times. It's never worked. Right. He's just not a good coach. I think it was third time too. Remember, he had that one little bit a year with the yeah. Texans too. Wade Phillips, great defensive coordinator. Great. He's won Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator. As a head coach with the Cowboys, he was horrible. (laughs) So it doesn't work. Rex Ryan, he was a good coach. He was a good defensive coordinator. But he wasn't, you know, when when the Jets started to, 
you know, obviously when they decided to let Rex Ryan draft his players, it just didn't work. Yeah. Like it was for it was stable for a while, but then when it got like it like it was almost like he got like too much control or he too was much, a good yeah. coach. He was, he was a good coach. I'm not denying that. He was that. the yeah. best Jets coach in the last thirty years. Right. Yeah. And and I like Herm Edwards too. He was good too. Yeah. But like it seemed like when he got a little more, I guess, authority authority with those players or even decisions, it seemed like it just everything went off the rails at that point. Not not to the level that it has been with other te- uh, other regimes with the Jets, but still enough where it was enough to cost him his job. Not thirty years, I would say. Rex Ryan has been the best coach in the last twenty years for the Jets. Twenty first century, okay. yes, yeah, twenty years, not thirty years because Bill Parcells, Correct. he was better. Um, so. <laughs> and they've had some lousy ones, I can tell you. Uh, John says, I don't think he does. I say 698 in terms of uh, referencing the pool holes. But, yeah, I, I also wonder, too, with with the way that the Ravens operate, if that kind of thing is shying Lamar Jackson away. Because wide receivers, as we've talked to with many guests, have become a major premium in this league where if they don't develop them well and they don't get the targets, we've seen a lot of the quarterbacks have a lot of trouble. Now, Lamar Jackson hasn't had too much trouble when it comes to, like, not off the field, but he he does things on social media that he gets in trouble. Sure, with. that's fair. He that's does a lot of stupid things on Twitter. Fair. I, I in reference more to I think the on field play of consistency that could be a little better, but it, like he hasn't had that bad like drop off season or like the question marks in his Lamar is season. a great player. He really is. I, I did not think he was going to be the player he became no, in the NFL. Either. I really didn't. Nope. He won an MVP. Can't take that away from him. the The Baltimore Ravens, besides last year, has been a practically a, a winning organization since Lamar Jackson has come there. The problem is, and and I'm not going to blame John Harbaugh, but they built their team around his offensive style of game. So everything Lamar Jackson does has to do with the whole offense. It, it's you can't you can't play a West Coast offense with Lamar Jackson. It doesn't work that way. So uh, that's the problem. I mean, if if there's a new coach, a new coach that comes in from John Harbaugh, let's say John Harbaugh decides to leave or he retires or he gets fired and they bring in another offensive style of coach, are, are, is that – and he's an offensive corner. You think that offensive corner is going to stick with the same offense that John Harbaugh yeah. ran when, when he was there? I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the problem. When if Lamar Jackson, maybe Lamar Jackson believes that's going to happen. Maybe Lamar Jackson thinks that this reign over there with the Baltimore Ravens is not going to last a whole career. So, and we've seen that because look at Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco was a, a top quarterback in the NFL for what five years. Uh, he won a Super Bowl. He went on that unbelievable uh, Super Bowl run. Yeah. He got that big contract. He was the highest paid or second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And then after that, he, he fought injuries, and then he was done. Then he was a journeyman, right? And 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 remember, Joe Flacco, he's had a pretty good career. He he was in, I would say he was a top quarterback in the NFL more than five years, but he was elite quarterback for five. I thought that one at one point for five years, I don't remember when, when especially when they won the Super Bowl, Joe Flacco was as good as you know a, a five or six quarterback in the NFL. Now, you could compare him to the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's because. He was winning, and he was a he was a playoff contending play, quarterback. Great playoff, quarterback. yeah. So, yeah. so I thought he was an elite quarterback for like five years, four years. That's where he was. But as uh, you know, he was for his whole career as an NFL player, as a starting quarterback, he was a top ten, top twelve quarterback in the NFL, and that's where you want to be. 
But even then, when you look at the way the Ravens have developed their team, like they've always done well with running backs. They've always done well with tight ends. Even in those years, too, with Flacco, you you look at guys like Todd Heap and Dennis Pitta, guys like that. And even so now with Mark Andrews to the Ravens, where the receivers are still the things they've had trouble with outside of maybe signing Anquan Bolden as a free agent. That really worked because he was great in the playoffs, that whole playoff run you were talking about with Flacco. That's the one thing that might maybe Lamar Jackson is wondering if they can do. Now, that the question is, though, if Lamar Jackson commits to a different team that has these wide receivers, can he make it work? Because the Ravens did cater the offense towards it. And we've seen a lot of quarterbacks that are mobile-type quarterbacks do well Lamar with tight Lamar Jackson will fail if he goes anywhere else besides staying with the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. He will fail. Because no coach is going to cater to Lamar Jackson's skills. They're not going to do it. You're a quarterback in the NFL. You you have you have good motion outside of the pocket. You can run. You're the, one of the faster quarterbacks in the league. You need to be accurate. Right. We've seen this before. Russell Wilson, when he came into the NFL, he had a good arm, but he was more of a mobile quarterback. Yeah. He became more of a pocket present quarterback as he moved further. And and and, and Pete Carroll really told him, "You're not going to make it in this league if you don't figure out how to be a pocket quarterback." Even Aaron Rodgers, when he came into the league, he used his legs more than he used his arm. And then uh, he really became one of the more impressive mobile quarterbacks that really revolutionized that quarterback position. So, and, and we all know how good Aaron Rodgers' arm is. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, so yeah. I. But again, when he came into the league, he used his legs more than his arm. Yeah. More, so uh, uh, again. Lamar Jackson's got to figure out how to be a quarterback in this league. If he doesn't, that $230 million is not even going to be $230 million because mm-hmm. he's not going to last that long in the NFL. Yeah, and that's the problem with the contract risk right now. And you're talking about a team in the Ravens that knows what they're doing. Tom Brady, to... pocket-present quarterback, right. survived all those years. Even guys like Kurt Warner, he was a pocket-present quarterback. Now let's talk about the quarterbacks now. Uh, Matthew Stafford, he is a pocket Quarterback. Now, yes, he can move inside and out of the pocket. He's a pocket quarterback. When you get older as an NFL quarterback, you have to station. You've got to plant your feet and throw the ball. You've got to see the field for what it is. Now, Lamar Jackson is still fairly young. He's 25, 26 years old. He's, he's not even – I don't even think he's the prime, in a, prime of his career as a quarterback. Usually, as a prime, quarter, prime of career quarterback, you're 27, 28. And that's where your prime starts, where – from 28 to 33, 34 is where you are you're, you're at the top part of your game. Right. And then you start to fall off at 35, 36, depending on the type of quarterback that you are. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, look at, I look at Lamar Jackson. He's coming to that point where he, he's got to uh, – he's got to. He's got to – he's got to impress himself, uh, impress the, the, the um, ownership – that he's worth the money that they're going to pay him. Yeah, and you wonder, too, like what level of performance or accolades or something is going to get even more than the five years, 230. Maybe Lamar, obviously, if it goes further in the playoffs, yes, that's going to be a lot. But that'll be with the Ravens probably only exclusively because, again, you could never know what could happen with a different team just because they won a couple playoff games, too. And is he the reason, too, for winning the playoff games, too? Because the Ravens are not built that way. The Ravens are built on defense and running, and when they're healthy, they're offensive line play. So that's going to be a big question. And being that uh, being that he's a running quarterback, too, your prime kind of starts a little earlier, too. So you wonder, with the even the speed's going to decline as he gets to 30-31. Look at somebody like Cam Newton when it 
comes to that, where he, once he was fighting all those injuries. Now, Lamar hasn't had that, that issue yet because he's more of a finesse runner, but still, who knows? That could definitely happen at some point. Uh, before we go to break, I'll just read some of the last comments. Uh, speaking of Cam Newton, John says Cam Newton done, free agent, hat could go to Seattle or yes, Houston. Cam Newton's done. Yeah. Uh, John says Mariota looked good the other night for the Falcons. Do you think he could salvage his name there? I don't know about that. That would be that would take some kind of rebirthing for that to happen because outside of Kyle Pitts, they really don't have much in terms of big-time weapons to be able to trust. Cordero Palace Patterson was nice last year, but will he do it again is another question. Uh, Kurt Warner, like you were saying, John says, uh, Snug says, Tom Brady, pocket goat. John says, Big Ben was so big, he just stood there, ha, ha, ha. Snug says, at least you're, uh, unless you're the Brady coat where you start to drop off at 64, 65 years old. <laughs> Oh, God. You guys are pieces of work, let me tell you. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esden Jr. here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouth. 631-672-3108 is the number. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths, ladies and gentlemen. Rick, Rick it, Rick, 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 Rick it, Rick it. Remember, you can listen to us every single Tuesday and Thursday at 9 p.m. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What is John saying over here? What do you, you write? Errol, I know... Errol, I know we firefighters, but you all having 9-11 tower climb this year or somewhere. We got a few friends headed that way for some tributes. Okay. I got to check that out, man. Mm-hmm. Definitely got to check that out, John. Uh, but uh, I'm very happy to get this guy on our show for the first time. We are now talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Estin Jr. Paul, what's going on, man? What's popping, everybody? Thanks for having me here on the show. I, I like I'm great that. to finally pop this cherry and be on the program. Well, you're popping it all right. I mean, hopefully the Jets pop our cherry this year and actually get on a winning streak, something they That'd haven't nice. done in years. But anyways, yeah. uh, before we get into New York Jets conversation, how are you feeling? How's your family go? How's your family, family doing with this whole COVID-19 situation for the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, uh, I will be honest. Uh, for we're speaking of popping cherries, I just popped the COVID cherry. I had avoided it this entire time, and uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was out for like the last two weeks, and Sorry uh, not to, hear to get all uh, intense here and uh, uncomfortably uh, vivid. But uh, fevers, body aches, all that crazy crap. Every day, I thought I was gonna, you know, kick the bucket. I'm like, ah, oh, this is the day. So it uh, it hit me like a pile of bricks. Me, my fiance, and my uh, six month old daughter. So. Uh, it was crazy, you know, uh, sickening. It's still here. And uh, so it's been tough. But obviously with our worlds, you know, with uh, doing uh, video shows, radio shows, everything else, uh, working more from home and having this home office set up for uh, interviews and everything else, it's uh, it's just been a new world that's uh, both good and bad. You get some convenience and things of that nature and, and uh, other things like that. But, yeah, man, it's been wild, and we're still uh, we're still trucking through it. The new world order. Ah, anyways. Yeah, there you go. And um, throw it up. Right? That's right. We are, as everybody knows, we are talking to heavy sports Jets digital uh, reporter Paul Esten Jr. So, Paul, why don't we get into the Jets' second preseason game? 
The Jets didn't really start any of their starters. Uh, we did see Sauce. He was there. We saw Hall. We saw a lot of their secondary players playing. None of their front seven. Jermaine Johnson, you know, added a little bit of defense here and there, but nothing that really stood out to stood out to me as far as uh, the defense is concerned. What stood out defensively in, in in the second game for the New York Jets? Yeah, 17 of 22 starters, uh, when you uh, cross uh, offensive defense, did not play in this contest. Mm-hmm. So it was very situational uh, from that standpoint. What stood out? Uh, you know, uh, horrificness, uh, <laughs> terribleness. That's what that's what freaking stood out, man, over the first two preseason games, for yeah. that matter. But again, you, you, I guess you take it in the same level that whether they're playing, they're balling out or, or they're sucking, it's preseason at the end of the day. But, you know, the fact they haven't been playing their starters, you you just – I think a lot of people are just hoping that's the issue because, unfortunately, a lot of the problems that we've seen thus far for the Jets seem very eerily similar to the issues that they were dealing with in, in 2021, the biggest of which, of course, uh, they did finish 32nd in defense last year. But the worst part was that run defense over a four-week stretch that included – Jonathan Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts saying hello and thank you very much uh, ran buck wild over this uh, New York Jets defense and they're going to get the ultimate challenge week one Lamar Jackson I heard you guys talking about before the break uh, that offense which won't have Gus Edwards he's going to be up the, at least the first four games of the year. Uh, but J.K. Dobbins at ru- rushing attack, Lamar Jackson, that's going to be the ultimate test to see if the Jets' run defense has improved any. But it can't get any worse because <laughs> last year was 32nd. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of that, it, we definitely saw in the first preseason game, too, the Jets have a lot of trouble with the Eagles and Jalen Hurts' style of play where he's a, a mobile quarterback. We've also seen this issue in the past. Where even when Robert Sala was, was defensive coordinator with the 49ers, they've had a lot of trouble over the years with running-type quarterbacks such as Kyler Murray, stuff like that. So what do you think is the – impressions of that of what you saw with the Eagles and how do you think the Jets are going to have to fix that in order to make that work because they're going to be playing a lot not just Lamar Jackson other mobile quarterbacks yeah they play Josh Allen in the division twice a year uh, to name a few and also he had uh, Robert Saw had the same issues when he was in San Francisco right. playing uh, Josh Allen as he was uh, bursting out of that as well you know what the Jets are trying to do and, and again there's only one way to find out if it's going to work once we get to the regular season they added pieces that you wouldn't normally think of the San Francisco type scheme, like Sauce Gardner, fourth overall. You're not supposed to take corners that high in this uh, solid principle defense. They ended up trading back in uh, for Jermaine Johnson, who's going to be a rotational guy on that defensive line. They invested at linebacker with guys like Quan Alexander, another schematic guy from the past who – I still can't believe he's 27 years of age. He feels like he's a thousand with how long you think he's been in the league, but they didn't add any true run defenders. They let fully Fatu Kasi go through your deal, 30 million to the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they never replaced him. So they're trying to do a sum is greater than the part sort of thing where they've added uh, sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, another schematic guy from the past, uh, Jordan Whitehead, uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then we mentioned kind of the variety of different guys who are intriguing. Jacob Martin, uh, lower guys, Bradley and I, they had JFM. Quentin Williams supposed to take a step. Carl Lawson didn't play last year with the ruptured Achilles. They're just hoping all of those pieces help. And really, you know, what I'm intrigued with is the Sala system says four-man rush, and then we're going to keep it really simple. But because of the additions in the secondary, which we weren't really anticipating – with uh, DJ Reed, three-year deal for $33 million. Sauce Gardner, fourth overall. Can they get some of those exotic blitz concepts where they don't have to just rely on the four-man pass rush? They could put a little extra presser. As we saw, the cover three was getting carved up 
over the preseason. And Salah, even a couple of times last year, just refused to adapt. But now that he's got the talent in the secondary, will he run some more man concepts? And again, that could open up the blitz categories up front. That's something I think they may be uh, kind of holding in their cards uh, for the regular season. Paul, you look at Brees Hall. He was a, a high draft pick, I believe, for the New York Jets, especially in the second round. He was the first uh, running back uh, drafted in the you know in the second round and throughout the, the draft last year. A lot of people think that he is going to be a high-profile running back. In fantasy, he was, I think, ranked 36 in almost every single board. What do you think Brees Hall is going to be this year for the New York Jets? Yeah, he was the highest drafted running back by the Jets in 31 years. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's put some stamp on uh, on the significance of that draft selection. And as you mentioned, the first running back taken overall mm-hmm. in the 2022 NFL draft. And again, among the favorites for offensive rookie of the year, and for good reason. The fact of the matter is, the Jets uh, the Jets obviously haven't taken running backs very high in a long time. Obviously, speaking of that little draft nugget I shared, and then the 49ers in general are guys that are supposed to take Elijah Maguire's of the world where they just kind of throw a dart throw at the end of the draft, and that's the Shanahan scheme. And the reason why the Jets decided to do this is Michael Floor said it in the pre-draft process, and he said it post-draft since they've acquired Brees Hall, that this guy's different. He has those zone concepts that he incorporated from his time in college that they believe will allow him to kind of ascend, to, to kind of skip a few steps in the playbook, so to speak, so he can contribute immediately. They had Michael Carter last year, fourth-round pick. They thought he was a steal. They couldn't believe that he was on the board in the fourth round. But the reason that they even dipped their toe in the Brees Hall waters is because Carter could not stay healthy. And they're like, okay, this guy's not a three-down back. So we want to have a 1A to a 1B. To me, Brees Hall is going to be the bell cow of this offense. And Michael Carter, it may be 50-50, 60-40 at first, but I think ultimately it will separate somewhere in the ballpark of 70-30 where Brees Hall is getting the rock. He can run the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. And he's been doing really well in pass protection, which, of course, is the key to getting on the field for all three of those downs. I think he does have that ceiling of being an offensive rookie of the year. If he could get the carries, if he could stay healthy, he has all the capabilities to get that touches in this offense because the Jets, at their truest nature, want to be a team that uh, ground and pounds of football. So Quentin Williams' contract negotiations have been a big talk of the Jets all throughout the offseason. So what would you do if you were the Jets, and how would you judge how much you think he should get paid? Because interior linemen are getting paid a lot more than we've seen in the past because it's more valuable analytically. A hundred percent. Aaron Donald just rewrote uh, the record books, and perhaps that's going to be similar uh, to Aaron Rodgers became the highest paid quarterback in football with a 50 plus million per year number. And normally each guy tops the last guy, but Aaron Rodgers has almost superseded that he set the market and the other guys are the other kids, quote unquote, are playing in the sandbox. So their numbers are kind of beating each other, but still not topping Aaron Rodgers. I think that's going to be the same case with Aaron Donald. He reset the market to this crazy number. And I think the other kids, the rest are in the top five, top 10 are going to be battling with each other as opposed to topping that number that's the interesting thing with Quentin Williams because he was a number three overall pick and the fact of the matter is as a number three overall pick in a vacuum he's been disappointing he has not been the superstar great elite player that I'm sure the Jets were hoping when they invested the number three overall pick into this guy but he hasn't been this total terrible bust of a horrible player he's just been a rock solid guy that has done well both analytically speaking and also statistically speaking but they're waiting for the pop year and the Jets had one decision to make or the other. Of course, this offseason was the first year they were eligible to even discuss a contract extension with him and his agent, Nicole Lynn. And really, I think what the Jets are saying is prove it. 
And if Quinn and Williams pops, because they have the choice to proactively give an extension right now, and maybe they save a few bucks, and I advocated for that this offseason, or if you wait and allow a second year in the system, more talent around him, we've mentioned some of it, JFM, Carl Lawson, all the guys that are going to be around him. If If I was a betting man, and I am, I would lay some bones that Quentin Williams is set for a breakout year because everything is going in his favor to be that, to for all of that to come to fruition. The only way it doesn't is if he gets injured, which none of us can predict how any of that uh, could uh, potentially happen again. He was kind of banged up last week and uh, didn't end up playing in the game either, but most of the starters didn't uh, for the New York Jets anyway. Robert Sala doesn't seem to be concerned. For me, I think that number is going to be crazy, though. I think at this point, it's 17-plus million per year on a deal. And again, if he breaks out the way that I believe he can, he could be approaching the 20-plus million per year ballpark. One of the reasons Robert Sala took this job is because he believed in uh, Quinnen Williams. He said, wow, that's a guy I can build around. That could be the centerpiece of my defense. So they have high expectations for this kid, and they believe that he could take the next step again still incredibly young at just 24 years of age just think about that michael clemens the guy they just drafted celebrated his 25th birthday last week mm-hmm. Quentin williams going into uh, year four here and, and and again this guy is only 24 years of age there's so much potential here but they want to see him pop and if and when he does they're more than willing to pay the piper next offseason and like we have said, the Jets have done him a lot of uh, a lot of good too. They brought Quincy Williams in there. He's playing with his brother, and his brother has been a good uh, a good player for them as well. Coming coming from Jacksonville, so uh, it, it's something that the Jets are trying to keep Quinton happy. So the Jets are moving forward with doing that. We are talking to Heavy Sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr. So let's go into. Uh, the weakness of the New York Jets over the last couple of years, the wide receiving core. Now, Zach Wilson tearing his meniscus, being out a significant amount of time, but not as bad as everybody thought he was going to be because of the ACL. Everybody, all these experts, these doctor experts that watched the video, oh, my God, he tore his ACL. And all we found out is he had a bruised knee and a meniscus problem, which uh, usually heals within two to three, two to four weeks. So he'll be back probably week two. Nevertheless, Garrett Wilson in the draft, number 10 pick. Elijah Moore, second round, early second round pick last year. You added uh, some tight ends in Conklin and Usuma and all the different guys that they brought in in the offseason in free agency. Where does this offense take it to that next level this year? I mean, you really said it with all the pieces, and then we mentioned Brees Hall earlier, too. Again, more draft nuggets. Garrett Wilson was the first first-round receiver the Jets has taken since 2001, 21 years ago. That was Santana Moss. He's the highest-drafted receiver since Keyshawn Johnson was the number one pick in the late 1990s. So, again, the Jets have not invested this level of capital into these premium positions. You mentioned Uzama. Uh, Uzama, excuse me, and Conklin, $45 million there. Jeremy Rucker, the number 101 overall pick. The Jets just said, YOLO, let's add more tight ends. Phenomenal. Mm. So uh, they added a lot of juice, a lot of uh, chutzpah, you may say, to this offense. Chutzpah. And again, Elijah Moore, last year, that second-round pick, he, he was one of the highest-drafted receivers they'd taken in some time. And he looked like a star. Unfortunately, he could not stay healthy. Corey Davis, another one who could not stay healthy, but now he's going to settle more into a proper number two or number three role as opposed to the number one receiver that he wanted us to believe he was. And unfortunately, he isn't, but that's okay. You just be whoever you are. In this case, I believe Elijah Moore will be the true number one wide receiver for this offense. And you have a true number one in Elijah Moore. You have Corey Davis just playing second or third fiddle, and Garrett Wilson has been really special 
uh, throughout training camp. Mm. And even in these preseason games, you've seen that elite body control that uh, everyone was, uh, you know, kind of pumping everything about coming out of Ohio State. That catch you know, he's had some simple was awesome, drops. And it feels a little Jamar Chasey, hmm. like when, and not that he will have that kind of impact. We will see ultimately if that is the case. But when Jamar Chase was a rookie, I remember everyone on these shows saying, and not on this show in particular, but on shows in general, ah, Jamar Chase, drop a potamus. Oh God, this guy sucks. And then, oh yeah, you just had that spectacular record-breaking rookie season that he did with the Bengals. And Garrett Wilson has had a lot of weird, just simple drops. And he turns around and has a crazy one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. You're like, what the hell? What's happening here? Uh-huh. So it's a lack of focus, certainly happening from that perspective. But in terms of the Jets offense, you're right. They've been they've been dog crap. They've mm. been terrible mm. forever. Okay. And now finally they have all this talent and now we need to see it manifest itself. And the architect behind this is a famous NFL name that we all know. That's Mike LaFleur mm-hmm. who's entering the second year of his system. Now he's got the toys to play with last year. He didn't. So a lot of the crazy crap he was calling early in the season, the Jets offense was simply not capable of executing it to that level. So I believe this Jets offense has the potential to make a quantum leap here. Of course, Joe Flacco should bring a nice floor at the beginning of the season if Zach Wilson is not ready. But Zach Wilson obviously provides a sexy ceiling that can unlock this entire offense if, of course, he could take that next step. Don't forget about Braxton Berrios either. <laughs> of course, double B, baby. Double B. So long-term trajectory with Zach Wilson coming off this kind of injury. Luckily, again, only a small tear in the meniscus could have been a lot worse. But he also is a guy that has been reliant – not necessarily as a running quarterback. He does throw on the run a lot too. So how should the Jets be able to, when he does come back, should they still go full throttle with him? Do you think they're going to ease him back in? And long-term, how do you think this will impact the Jets and Zach Wilson going forward? Sure. In terms of the easing, yes. Uh, the Jets are going to be overly cautious here. With the injury timeline, There again, if you squint, Zach Wilson could be ready for week one against the Baltimore Ravens. But I think what the Jets want to do is make sure that they don't rush him because there's no rush to it now that we know it's not what the Twitter doctor said, a, a blown ACL <laughs> oh and he's dead on the doctor's <laughs> table for GP. How many like, everyone, pa- does everyone just want to be right? Does Paul, everyone just want to be first? Like, Paul, I'm hell? sorry to cut you off, but how many yeah. people, how many podcasts, Jets podcasts, during that game, that preseason game, the first preseason game of the season with the Eagles, how many yeah. people went up there and said, our season's over, we're going to be looking for a new quarterback in next year's draft, oh, bah humbug, and then all of a sudden you hear after the game, and you heard what Robert Sala says, we, we did all yeah. the tests, it looks like his ACL's intact, so... Yeah. And and obviously they thought that about about Mackay Becton too, and they were wrong about that. So sure. a lot of Jets, a lot of Jet fans were probably saying, "Well, you said that about Mackay too, and look where he's sitting." But I, I there was something that told me everything that I've heard, and I wasn't at the game, but in the back in in the locker room, everybody said that he was walking without a brace, he wasn't really limping anymore, and he wasn't grimacing. Usually when you when you do something your ACL, you're wearing that big boot or something yeah. like that. He wasn't wearing that. So I, I there was something telling me that it wasn't as as bad as it could have been. So that's all I wanted to say. I'm sorry. No, no. And uh, I agree, uh, quite frankly. As far as I knew, as, as soon as Zach Wilson was injured, uh, people were telling me that Jimmy Garoppolo is already on the team. He's <laughs> flying to New York. I'm like, he is? Uh, okay, welcome Jimmy G, I guess. I'm like, can we wait for the body to be cold for Pete's sake? I mean, uh, you know, Christ. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of that hoopla out there uh, on all of that. And then, of course, again, the good news. Uh, Jet fans normally aren't uh, used to getting good news twice nope. in a week. Of course, Joe Klecko being a senior yes. finalist for the 
Pro Football Hall of Fame, Thank long God. overdue. And then the Zach Wilson injury news coming within 48 hours of each other. Again, Jet fans are not used to that sort of thing. Uh, but overall, <laughs> back to, uh, you know, uh, Speedy Petey over there, uh, Speedy Petey's question. We'll uh, call that, him Speedy Petey the Greaseball, okay? Uh, mm. Greaseball, I like that. <laughs> you need to add that to your little yeah, nameplate there. There's more room if you just kind of uh, slide over your, your hanging carcass over City Field a little bit to uh, my left, your right. Uh, maybe we can get uh, fit that on there. So uh, get, get your team on it, your team out of my people. And we could talk about uh, making that happen. But in terms of the uh, intermediate, again, the Jets are going to play it safe because there is no impending doom line time on. They have Joe Flacco, who they believe in. So if Joe Flacco plays week one, they have no problem waiting right. to week two on the road against Cleveland to getting him ready. Again, if they want to be super precautious, I think the absolute latest uh, that he's going to play is week three. That'll be a home game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, if they really just want to wait to their home, and just play it out that way and be ultra safe. And, of course, the offensive line gets a continuity. They have not had that this offseason with all the new pieces. Right. They could certainly wait till that point, but I don't think it will go any later uh, than that. So they will play it precautionally. They believe in Joe Flacco. In terms of long-term, hell no. They're going to be riding Zach Wilson because, again, they drafted him number two overall to be the crazy bastard that he was at BYU, doing all the crazy throws where he escapes the pocket and improvisational skills. Uh, to deliver on the plays that, of course, he will need those healthy knees to have that. Now, is there concerns with the same leg 10 months apart? Mm -hmm. Of course, two injuries uh, to that same knee is always concerning. But at this point, there's no correlation between the two. The PCL is the PCL. And in this case, uh, the bone bruise and meniscus injury are totally unrelated. Zach Wilson will just have to play his kind of ball. He can't play scared out there, and the Jets will not. Once he's back, he's back. He's going to be 100%, and no training wheels or anything of that nature will be coming in for Zach. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr., so why don't we go to the cornerback position? And, and DJ Reed, he got that big contract in the offseason. We expected that because Robert Sal likes to bring his own guys as Alexander came. And he, he Rankins, another guy that knows the defense. So what are your thoughts with Sauce? You've seen Sauce play. Uh, you've seen Hall, Bryce Hall, who had a really good year in the first half of the season last year. And that kind of fell off in the second half. And that's why the Jets were looking for corners in the draft. And, and then, obviously, the slot position's filled, too. You have Michael Carter, who looked really, really good before he got hurt last year from Duke. And then some of the other guys that they had, the Eccles of the world and all the guys that filled in. So where is this secondary at? And does the Jets think that this secondary could be the best secondary in the NFL? A hundred percent of the talent is just night and day last year. I, I mean, the media was pounding the table for the jets to please add some sort of veteran and someone from his past. A Richard Sherman was available. Like, uh, you know, Steven Nelson was another veteran that I remember jet fans clamoring mm -hmm. for last year. Please <laughs> add somebody to this room. Bryce Hall, uh, this unproven player, Brandon Eccles, a day three dart throw, Michael Carter, day three dart throw. Like what the hell are the jets going to do? They're going to get crucified and lit up. Uh, during the season. Now, to their credit, while the n overall numbers and analytics are not great, the Jets' corners actually played fairly serviceable last year, all things considered, with these pieces that they kind of threw into the mix. They gained valuable experience. And now, after the Jets said, YOLO, we're going to invest all kinds of resources, 
DJ Reed, 33 million. Michael Carter returns in the slot. Uh, Jordan Whitehead, we talked about in terms of the safety and bring back LaMarcus Joyner and then Sauce Gardner. That now all those guys who were starting last year, Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, those guys are now backups, primary backups. So they feel really good. And the Jets believe in their building that they have the talent to be one of the best secondaries in the NFL with everything they have. They believe Sauce is a transcendent piece. They believe he could be a lockdown corner. He talks so much trash while he's on the field. It's infectious. He never gave up the touchdown college. And then the first thing we asked him uh, when we were looking ahead to the season, he's like, I don't plan on giving one up in the NFL. He hasn't given one up in the preseason either. He hasn't yeah, given one in. Which he hasn't. He's not even targeted. They're no. going after other guys. And again, maybe they're – I don't think that's going to be the case when we get to the NFL, the regular season. I think teams are going to be like, okay, let's see what this Sauce guy is all about. Because mm-hmm. DJ Reed, while not as tall as to Sauce, Good play. he is a widely respected corner uh, that has uh, proven to be. He, ha- he even said it when he was interviewed initially after being signed, that he puts up his numbers with the Jalen Ramseys of the world. So super confident guy himself. But I think NFL teams are going to test sauce. And now now maybe they're going to get burned when you touch that pot and you get a little bit of that sauce on your hand. But, uh, yeah, that sauce kid is uh, looking like the real deal. He is. Uh, he hasn't had a bad practice since he's uh, been here with the Jets. All right, so one of our fans have a question. Uh, thoughts on the recent cuts? I'm surprised, but not really about them cutting Elijah Riley, but was shocked about Eddie Pinheiro. And also he thinks uh, Mike White and Chris Streveler, what are your thoughts on the backup quarterbacks or third-string quarterback situation? Will they move on from one of them? Yeah, Chris Streveler is Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, he is the second coming of the Messiah. New, new religions must be dedicated in his honor. <laughs> I, I mean, has anyone seen the CFL picture where we're <laughs> – Wins a great cup championship. He's in a fur coat, cowboy hat, stogie in the mouth, and he's just uh, dropping beer and wine all over his hairy body. Like, wow, what a guy. I mean, that's a QB1. I don't know how we haven't started this conversation here on the show. Who needs a Zach Wilson's injury? We got Chris Steffler. I know. Zach Wilson who? Uh, Chris Strebler, QB1. But, you know, the thing is that Mike White has been living off the praise of the Hall of Fame game is what we call right. it. The Cincinnati Bagels game, he comes in, he's forced to start because of the Zach Wilson injury. And he has, right up there, it's him and Cam Newton have the greatest QB debuts of all time. Now, Cam Newton, of course, number one overall pick. Mike White, you know, like fourth, fifth, six-year veteran, 27, former fifth-round pick of the Cowboys. So different circumstances, of course, with their debuts. But nonetheless, Mike White has this great game. But then everything else since then has been crap. And I just feel like everyone's afraid to say it because Jet fans were doing the Mike effing white thing where every restaurant he goes to, people are like, oh, that's Mike effing white. And he has like this cult-like Ryan Fitzpatrick (laughs) cult following. But the problem is he hasn't done diddly crap since the Bengals game. And Strevers just straight up outplayed him. And it's impressive because Strevler didn't get any team reps prior to that Eagles game. And then we're like, okay, that's a fluke. And then he does it again against the Falcons where the offense immediately looks better with him in it. And I think part of that is he's more closely correlated to a Zach Wilson in terms of his athleticism and things he can do. So that's more similar to Zach Wilson and and thus should be an easier transition to the offense. So uh, Strevler has been impressive, so impressive, in fact, that I would swap him out and he would be QB3 over Mike White if it was up to me. Elijah Riley is a cool story. The Jets have been chasing him for years. He was on the Eagles practice squad. They finally stole him last year in 2021. Ended up playing and starting in seven games last year for the Jets. Unfortunately, he just didn't jive in the same way this offseason, and uh, he gets cut as we go from 85 to 80. Um, Kai Nakua, uh, he's another one. 
It's a talented guy. He was a former safety that transitioned to linebacker. And uh, he was an interesting project, but ultimately just couldn't overcome the Quan Alexanders, Quincy Williams, some of their draft picks from last year, Hobson Nasserlardine, Jamie and Sherwood, and all those guys. So he was fighting an uphill battle uh, from the get-go. I think I answered everything there. Yes, and Sherwood's look really, really good in preseason, by the way. And The it, Florham Park Stranglers, yes. his nickname from the coaching staff. Really? There you go. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, not, that's an interesting name. Was he a serial killer? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Or, that's we were true. talking about Zach Wilson frozen body just 20 minutes ago. So there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, things going true. on with that's that. No, yeah. but he's, he's looked really, really good. He just has to stay healthy. I remember mm-hmm. when the Jets, I think he was drafted from Florida State. So uh, he's Florida Which State, one? right? Yeah, Sherwood you're, Sherwood was, you're uh, football Sherwood school. You should know. Florida State. <laughs> it was Florida State, right? Hamso was Florida State. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Jamie yes. and I think it was Jamie Auburn. Jamie was yeah. Auburn. Oh, yeah. Auburn, I'm sorry. So, uh, And I think he was transitioned from uh, safety to linebacker, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, I, I think I think both guys are, are very important pieces to what the Jets could be in the future with their linebacker position mm-hmm. because a lot of people believe the weakest part of their defense is the linebacker position, not their front seven with Rankins and, and the guys that they have up there. But And I expect Rankins to have a better season than he had last year because they actually have pass rushers in Carl Lawson. So let's go, let's go into Carl Lawson. What does he look like so far in OTAs and, and practices and even in, in preseason. Do you think that Carl Lawson is going to have that breakout year that we thought he was going to have last year where everybody was saying he was the best player on the field? I do believe. Last year he was the best player on the football field, and of course, unfortunately, joint practices, Green Bay Packers, freak injury, ruptures his Achilles out for the year. Terrible. First year of a three-year deal for $45 million. This offseason, obviously, they played it incredibly overly cautious. Uh, he was supposed to play, and Carl also was pissed at him. Uh, Robert, he was supposed to play against the Philadelphia Eagles in the first preseason game. And Robert saw right before he goes out again, the whole plan all week is Carl Lawson's plan. Carl Lawson's plan. Robert saw whispers to him right before he goes out, leave your helmet in the locker room. And Carl Lawson starts getting pissed off. Like, what the hell do you mean? I want to play in the goddamn game, pal. <laughs> and, uh, so Sal is like, ah, no, nah, we're just going to play it safe. Same thing. Falcons game. Okay. He'll play. Doesn't play again. And then now it looks like he will ultimately get that debut somewhat unorthodox of the final preseason game. That's normally when everyone plays their scrubs. But in this case, the Jets will be having their quote unquote dress rehearsal for the uh, Snoopy Bowl, uh, mm-hmm. the old New York Giants game How wonderful. Uh, coming up uh, later this week. But in terms of the Carl Lawson question, again, they've been overly cautious with him. But again, the burst has been incredible. The explosion has still been there. That's what you're concerned with when when you're talking about guys coming off Achilles injuries. And again, 20 years ago, that's a that's a career death nail when you get that injury. Now with the advancements of medical technology, it's not always the case. But even still, certain positions rely on that Achilles, that explosion that you need to get. And Carl Lawson, of course, it's a, it's a main part of his game to explode off the line of scrimmage to make those plays happen. He's never been a double-digit sack guy, but we talked about analytics earlier. The Jets were in love with the analytics. They were in love with the the pressures, his ability to get in opposing quarterback's face, and they believe they could transition those pressures into actual tangible sacks. And they believe this is going to be the year. And uh, he looks apart physically. Again, we're going to have to see ultimately he's whether a he's big the same man. player he was last year That's a when big we get man. to the regular season. But again, the same thing I said with Quinnen. So much talent around him and second year in the solid system. I, I think we're going to get an explosive year out of Carl Lawson. Hey, Carl Lawson's a big man. I, I, I oh, actually yeah. met him. Yeah, he's a freak of nature. And his, you know, his body and, and, and the way he works out. Swell up, baby. Uh, swells up. I mean, did you ever see his workout plan? It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually spoke to his trainer. His uh, trainer joined me on my YouTube channel a couple weeks ago, um, um, uh, Dr. Sharif Taba, Mm -hmm. and uh, he joined me and talked about all the crazy workouts behind the scenes. He went through the water workouts and things to rebuild that Achilles. And the problem was is that he would schedule workouts with Carl like, okay, 6 a.m., but Carl showed up at 3 a.m. and did his own workout before their scheduled workout. And he said he was a freak and he couldn't get him out of the building. And he said, dude, come on. We we have a process here. We have a plan. We have a rehab plan. And Carl also didn't care. He just wanted to keep uh, getting back on the field. So he's a wild dude. Good for him. So speaking of major injuries, Mekhi Becton suffering one now with a knee injury, a second knee injury. Uh, so what do you think could be the long-term trajectory going into obviously next year? Because a guy that big, six foot seven, over 350 pounds, uh, and also one thing that they always prided him on was moving so well for his size, why he got so much love in, during the draft. So how do you think he will be able to come back? And do the Jets still play him as a right tackle? Could you see him moving to guard? What do you think about the long-term trajectory? Dancing bear is the term they talked about Mackay Becton coming out of Louisville. Again, the crazy body. Again, he, he got all the comparisons to Jonathan Ogden's. Again, Hall of Fame talents, Hall of Fame traits is what they said about Mackay Becton. But obviously, he's only played eight complete games. And when I say complete, there's been several games throughout Mackay Becton's career where he started games and didn't finish them. Obviously, the biggest example is the uh, season opener last year where he's uh, yep. where he gets out for the year. And again, we have another out for the year here. So only eight complete games in what will amount to be three years because he's been placed on IR. So he's officially out for the season. And then they make the fifth-year option decision coming up in May. So eight games in three years, they can't possibly uh, exercise that option, especially now the fifth-year guarantee. It's fully guaranteed now. It's not just injury anymore. So they will decline that fifth-year option coming up in May. But Salah gave this passionate plea and uh, really went over the top. I, I think he went more than above to say that uh, Mekhi Becton's story is not written yet. We still believe in him. Organization wraps their arms around him. If they were going to trade him, it had to have been this past offseason where he still had some value, where you had a really impressive rookie year. Again, there's still injuries, uh, a complete wash in year number two. And then if you really wanted to flip him and and convince somebody, somebody would have said, again, I always call it the save the stripper mentality because we all go to the strip club. We go, we could save that girl that's up there. She, she has a a, a great life that, that, that is just untapped potential. So people would have believed that with Makai Beckton, but now with two complete out years that you had to throw in the garbage, not including the rookie year, that he has no value. So the Jets have no choice, but to wrap their arms around this man. And he will then be entering his uh, contract year with them declining the fifth year option, which I expect to happen in May, which means 2023 will be contract year, boom or bust. And in terms of what he will be in terms of long-term prognosis, I don't think guard is going to happen for him. I think he stays at tackle, but in this case, they, re- they, when they signed Dwayne Brown as a veteran free agent, they signed his old ass to a two-year deal. They gave themselves a little bit of flexibility heading into next year. And he's exclusively played left tackle. He's never played any other position in the NFL. So they have in their back pocket a left tackle for both 2022 and 2023. George Fant is not under contract beyond 2022. So they have Mekhi Becton there. He is projected to be the right tackle next year. But, of course, we have to see, would the Jets draft a tackle? I imagine they would. Uh, very highly in the 2023 NFL draft to protect themselves because Dwayne Brown would be becoming his 38 age season. Mekhi Becton hasn't played in two years. And then you have George Fant, which again, we don't know what his future is going to be with this team. So they'd have no other choice but to draft a guy. But I think Becton stays at tackle to answer the question. Uh, We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter, Paul Eston Jr. Last question for me, Paul. Um, Sure. 
Joe Douglas. Now, if mm. Zach Wilson fails this year, he has yeah. a terrible season. He does not look like the quarterback that everybody thought he was going to be. And then next year's draft class is stacked with quarterbacks. Everybody believes this is the best quarterback class since the Sam Darnold quarterback class, where there was only two quarterbacks that really showed up to be any good. I mean, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, the other guys, Paul sure. Baker Mayfield's all right. You know, Sam Darnold looks like he's a bust. I mean, everybody that we've seen so far just has failed. But nevertheless, Josh Rosen, too. When yeah. when you look at Zach Wilson and Joe Douglas, are they together when it comes to the the the, the organization deciding on what they're going to do moving forward if Zach Wilson fails this year? Do do they fire Joe Douglas if Zach Wilson fails? I see that there's enough room for my window to slide over for a new window to pop up next to me for a fourth guest. And that fourth guest would be Joe Douglas's head on a pike because they are completely attached at the hip. If Zach Wilson flops to the way that you said in any which way, if it's injuries, I guess it leaves this, uh, this aura of mystery. And then you, you then fans and, and media and everyone says to themselves, what could he have been as opposed to him just sucking like him being terrible because the Jets offense, as we've talked about throughout this show, they have done leaps and bounds of adding talent around him, which again will make sure that the Sam Darnold thing doesn't happen with Sam Darnold. Of course, there was always excuses. Uh, well, the offensive line is great. Well, the coaching sucks. Adam Gase. Well, this and this and this. They didn't want any of those excuses. They wanted to know that if they put all the town around him and Zach Wilson failed, they're like, well, he failed because he sucked, not because of anything we didn't do in terms of some level of continuity offensively. Joe Douglas got his whack at the pinata. That was Zach Wilson. He traded away Sam Darnold, uh, which amounted to be a very good trade to get three draft picks and maximize that value. And then they invested in Zach Wilson. They got their second choice of anyone not named Trevor Lawrence. He picks Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson flops, I don't think Joe Douglas gets to see or enjoy the banquet of what appears to be a very rich quarterback class in 2023. So I think it's all or nothing here. And in that case, heads are going to roll if the Jets, first off, just don't have the wins this year. They uh, The ownership wants tangible results. He didn't say playoff mandate, but he might as well have. They need they need significant wins. And again, they've had six wins over the last two years. That's just completely unacceptable. They need to have seven, eight, nine. They got to be in the conversation so, at the end of the season, or heads are going to roll. So, so yes, they're completely attached to that. So you're saying that if if Zach Wilson only gives the Jets, the Jets have one of the hardest schedules in all of the NFL. If the Jets don't win more than six games this year, so you're telling me Joe Douglas. Zach Wilson and maybe even Robert Soller are on their way out? Oh, yes. That is completely possible wow. that all of those heads can roll with that. Wow. And, again, I, to be honest, though, I don't I don't get the entire schedule excuse. Mm. I know from a national perspective, right. people have looked at the Jets' schedule and said it's incredibly tough. I look at the schedule, and I evaluate it from a quarterback perspective. When you look at the first four games, let's throw that out because it's unusual. They have the entire AFC North. That's the first time in Jets history right. that they will open up a season against an entire division like that. You have the combination of Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. Even if somehow the technology existed where they could combine their powers together, that still is a mediocre quarterback. So there's one. <laughs> and then you have Jacoby Brissett week two. Jacoby Brissett? Are we Who the hell? Jacoby Brissett? Now, okay, the other two are pretty good. You have reigning, not reigning MVP, but a former MVP in Lamar Jackson. He's really good. And Joe Burrow was just in the Super Bowl. Those guys are good, but I evaluate it on a quarterback schedule. Now, I get it. The 
you know, more of it goes in than that. The Steelers defense is really good. Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney are pretty good. So I know it goes beyond that, but purely from a quarterback perspective, which is how I always evaluate right. the schedule on a time-to-time basis, the, two of those quarterbacks seem pretty seem, seem pretty beatable. Tua, I don't believe in Tua. they got to play him twice in the year. Go to the other half of the schedule. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Jared Goff, like – Whoever the hell Seattle, Geno Smith, uh, oh, that oh. guy looks familiar. Like, look at those quarterbacks. This incredibly difficult schedule for the Jets, I think, is bullshit. I don't think it's. <laughs> I don't think it's this impossible schedule. It sounds like an excuse that if the Jets don't win, yeah. well, the, the schedule looked a little rough. No, it doesn't. It is completely manageable. Now, there's tough games. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, back to back. I don't know who, whose cereal the Jets front office pissed in, but so that doesn't look great. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think there's more than enough meat on this bone for the Jets to win some goddamn football games. I think I'm a little uh, sick and tired of this. How many games do you want the Jets to win? How many do I want them to win? My prediction on the schedule show Mm -hmm. when it came out was 9-8. and But I think what's realistic is 7-10, 8-9, 9-8. I think somewhere in that ballpark, especially with all the games I just talked about, and plus you have – Mike White somehow beat the Bengals. Who would have predicted that crap before the season? Right. So there may be games they win that they shouldn't, and vice versa. Maybe they blow a game against the Lions. I can't look. Can't wait for that one. That one will be spectacular. <laughs> but so is. they're going to win games they shouldn't and lose games they probably shouldn't. But either way, when you look at the schedule, to me, seven, eight, nine. If there's somewhere in there that seems like legitimate progress that right. you could look ahead to in 2023, where everyone seems to believe if they make I all these leaps that. and bounds, that's yes. the playoff. Yes. That's the magical year yes. where things can happen. Yes, because then you have you have Elijah Moore for his third year. You have all these sure. other guys. You have uh, Garrett Wilson for a second. He gets more accustomed to the offense. And then the offensive line, if they could stay together and McGovern stays healthy. McGovern's a very important piece because Zach Wilson's growth really con- it concerns me from the, the center position because the center runs that offensive line. He's the guy that is the, I guess you could say, the captain of that line. And McGovern could not stay healthy. Even though he, to me, everything that we've seen statistically, stats show us that McGovern's been a top 10 center in the NFL really since he's been there with the Jets. So I expect him to show up this year. I'm, I expect him to stay healthy with a veteran line. And Elijah Vera Tucker, he is an all-pro player this year. I believe that. Yeah, I will tell you, I think Jet fans, unfortunately, are spoiled. They have caviar taste. They had Kevin Mawai, Pro mm-hmm. Football Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. and Nick Mangold, seven-time Pro Bowler, yep. back-to-back. They slapped cheeks as they were passing <laughs> from uh, Kevin Mawai going out to Nick Mangold coming in. So they've had this 20-year run, essentially, of uh, amazing all-pro center level. And then they went into this as soon as right. Nick Mangold left and retired, this this weird musical chairs at center, and it's so important to the line. Connor McGovern, here's the thing. While there are analytics that will tell you yes. that he has proven to be a, very, a top 10 center and yes. incredibly durable mm-hmm. uh, during his time with the Jets, he's not this top five center, but he's not this bottom five center. He's just this steadying presence. He's just a rock solid guy who, in the grant, if we lined up all the centers in the NFL, he's probably somewhere in between yes. 15 and 20. I would say that's that, somewhere yes. where he is. Yes. And again, 
That's okay, especially, you mentioned it, Elijah Tucker, Lakin Tomlinson. When centers have good players around them, they play better. Their level is raised. So Elijah Tucker has this all-pro potential. Lakin Tomlinson is a pro bowler uh, from last year. Dwayne Brown, the guy they just brought in, also a pro bowler uh, from last year. And George Fan is coming off a really special year as well. So mm-hmm. when you look at that offensive line, again, on paper, which we've kind of mentioned that caveat a lot of times, has top 10 potential. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they have to stay healthy, and they have no level of continuity with each other. They're mean. They're mean because Dwayne Brown is mean. I've heard a lot about him. Lincoln Tomlinson's funny, but he's mean. Elijah Veritucki is very mean. And uh, on the other side, George Font, he doesn't really talk, but he plays mean. So that's a that's a mean offensive line. Yes. So I and McGovern, I've everything I've heard. I've never met McGovern. I've I've met Font. I've met Elijah Veritucki. And I've also met Lincoln Tomlinson years and years ago uh, as a San Francisco 49er. I, I think all three of those players are going to play a big part of the growth of this team. But Elijah Vera Tucker, I believe he could be the best player on that line. If you look at stats, Elijah Vera Tucker was a top three guard in the NFL the last eight games of the season. If he could do that this year, a full season, now under the same offense, under Mike LaFleur, I think he's going to be special. I really do. Wow, look at this show. You guys doing all your homework and bringing stats and uh, getting extra credit points at the end of class. You guys are goddamn impressive. Well, thank you very much, my friend. So, we first of all, we really appreciate you joining us, uh, giving us the 38, well, actually 43 minutes on the show. Nice. Uh, yeah. And your personality definitely stands out, especially who we are and how crazy we are and how loud we are. So, we really appreciate yeah. you. Uh, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Of course, uh, I try to make it as simple as possible. At Boy Green 25 Facebook, Twitter, the gram for all you kiddos out there. Yeah, I'm on the gram. So Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, of course, YouTube.com slash Boy Green 25. Uh, we have a lot of great interviews. We had Jericho Kachery on uh, earlier this offseason. So uh, whether it's former Jets players, uh, Damian Woody was on. Uh, Jets beat reporters, insiders, and everything. We try to give you a nice little splash there on YouTube with some cool insight and things of that nature. So YouTube.com slash BoyGreen25. And, of course, on all the social medias, if you want all the daily action as well, at BoyGreen25. Hit the follow button. Let's follow each other on Twitter. I'll definitely stay in touch with you. I really like your personality. Speedy, my producer, he'll send you my Twitter. As soon as you uh, – I'll follow you. Uh, and we'll be in touch, man. I definitely want to get you on again. I love your personality, man. You have a, a crazy personality. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, you know, your people, your producer, talk to my producer, my people, and, and we'll figure it all out. So, Petey, hop in the DM, slide on in there, you know, slip and slide, and uh, we'll make it happen. Well, he's got to learn how to slip and slide, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, last, time uh, I, yeah. last time I did that, I had bruises on my chest. <laughs> You know what? I believe that, to be honest with you, Petey. Make sure you flex up. Add some more muscle to that frame. Well, Paul, he doesn't. Get some Brutus Beefcake in there. Paul, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I remember him, too, but. Mm. Paul, he, he doesn't understand what the slip and slide, uh, you know, comedy is. So I you see, know. I see. Well, uh, you know, uh, practice makes perfect. So just uh, right. give it a give it an old Bing search and uh, and uh, Bing search hit the image. That was and, the uh, best search engine find. for a while, but not anymore. Yeah, there you go. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Oh, Peace out. Always, Paul Eston Jr. Fantastic personality. Yeah. Really like that guy. Really, really like that. Who knew we would get a reference of Bing? <laughs> He's awesome, man. Yeah, that was one of the best guests we've ever had. Yeah. he really is. He has a great personality. Definitely comic. 
Uh, and it just you could tell why people drive to listen to him. So send him my my Twitter, and I'll follow him on Twitter too. So we'll be in touch. I definitely want to get him on again. So there you go. Of course, everybody has to see your post about the Barclays Circus. No, that is definitely a circus, man. <laughs> uh, the, I, I'm interested to see. I want to go to a Nets game this year because I can't wait. I can't wait until something happens with these three idiots. Yep. And one or the other is going to do something stupid on and off the court, and it's going to become mayhem in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. I, I believe it's going to happen this year. There is no way Kevin Durant, by the end of this season, is a Brooklyn Net. Mm-hmm. There's no way. I, I can't see it. Nope. How can anybody sit here today and think that the fact that Kevin Durant decided to stay with the Brooklyn Nets, how that's going to work? <laughs> Even if he does stay with the Brooklyn Nets, will that really work either? I can't fathom. I can't. I I could not believe listening to that today uh, on the radio. Say, state, the statements that the Nets made saying that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant will be returning as a Brooklyn Net. Mm. And that Kevin Durant sat down with management and agreed with them that this is the best fit for him. Meanwhile... We've heard that the Brooklyn Nets were practically trying to sell them to every single NBA team besides the Knicks. Yeah, pretty much. So, what are we? Where are we going here? I mean, and they were they were asking for a huge boatload yes, of players, stuff that was very picks. unrealistic. Yeah, Especially I mean the Timberwolves one. Oh my god! Also, the Boston Celtics one. I mean, I mean, yeah, that wasn't as unrealistic as trying to ask for Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, but. Still. It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, the Beef says Zach Wilson will be a backup quarterback next year somewhere. No way. John says uh, if Daniel Jones is starting quarterback, uh, Wilson will be starting for the Jets, LOL. And then the Beef says Daniel Jones will be gone also. I think Daniel Jones will be uh, still the Giants quarter. I think he is definitely going to take steps forward as a New York Giants a quarterback. And, and with that coaching staff and with uh, – Dable there. I think Dable is going to help him grow. So, and, and and we saw what he did with Josh Allen, his throwing motion and everything like that. When he right. came into the league, his throwing motion was completely different two or three years later. Yep. It took, uh, it, really, Josh Allen to become the quarterback that he is in his third year. His second year, he was all right. His first he was year good, was all, but not great. First yeah. year, he was horrible. Right. Second year, everybody thought, oh my God, this guy's going to be a bust, but he had a decent season. In the third year, he just had a, a breakout year, and you saw what he did in the playoffs against Kansas City. So, I, I'm not saying that's what Daniel Jones is going to be, but if there's anybody that can fix Daniel Jones with his dropping and everything, and by the way, Daniel Jones has looked good in the preseason games. He really has. So, I want to see him in a full season with their schedule the way it is. If Daniel Jones can have eight or nine really good games this year, the, the Giants could win eight or nine games. They could absolutely be a wild card team in the NFC, the weak NFC. And if you don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs, we've seen the Giants go all the way to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl with a quarterback that nobody thought was going to go into the playoffs and do what he did. Right. So, And you know what I'm talking about. Eli Manning, he didn't do it once. He did it twice. Right. So it, it, some quarterbacks are just – Better playoff, Joe Flacco. No, it did mental with that. Yeah, uh, Joe Flacco's a better playoff quarterback than he is in a regular season. Right. Eli Manning's a better playoff quarterback than his brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean there are quarterbacks that just fail mm-hmm. in the in the playoffs for some reason. They can't handle the pressure. They can't handle, uh, you know, the the different schematic schemes that these teams don't show on tape in the regular season, and they change it up in the in the playoffs. It, it's different. It's a different game in the playoffs. So. I do believe this. 
if the Jets don't win six or more games this year, which a lot of people are predicting the Jets not to win more than seven games. Right. You know, so if the Jets don't win six or more games, I do believe Joe Douglas will be fired. And it's sad because I think Garrett Wilson could turn out to be a beast. He could be a beast. Yeah, Elijah saying. Moore could be a beast. He really could. Elijah, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker could be one of the best guards in the NFL. You're already seeing it with Gardner. Yeah, I mean, Sauce could be the best corner in the NFL. Could you imagine that? You have the one of the best linemen in the league you drafted. You had one of the best corners that you drafted. Clemens could be a steal. Uh, I yeah. mean, J- Jermaine Johnson could be a, a top-end pass rusher. Could you imagine all these guys succeed, but because Zach Wilson failed, he gets fired. It's crazy. It really is. And that just shows you, like you heard from uh, Paul, is they're attached to the hip. And when he gave up on Sam Darnold and he chose Zach Wilson to be the quarterback of the future, he practically set his name in stone that if this guy fails, you're going to get fired. And you have many cases across the NFL where they've built the rest of the team first and then worked on the quarterback later. You look at a team like Buffalo. Now, granted, Brandon Bean is the GM that drafted Josh Allen, so if the Jets hypothetically were to go to a different quarterback switch, that wouldn't be the same scenario. But they had pretty much, outside of the older players that retired, like Kyle Williams and guys like that, they had a lot of other pieces in place already. And you're seeing teams try to transform from that and then get to the quarterback later. The Rams kind of did it in a weirder way where – when Jeff Fisher was there, they built a really good defense and yeah. had a good running game, but they didn't have, their passing game was god-awful. Their receivers were the worst in the league, and who knows what was that quarterback. And then McVay comes in and gets Jared Goff to good numbers. Not Again, he's not an elite quarterback, but good numbers. They got to a Super Bowl that they technically shouldn't have got to, but nevertheless, he still had consistent success, success there. And then Matthew Stafford just took that team in another leap. So you sometimes, you, even though you could do it in unconventional ways now in today's league, where it's a lot more of a quick fix than we've seen before, the Jets might, even though it's unconventional, think about that kind of approach for sure. Mm, definitely. And, and as ever, everybody's seen over the last couple of years with the New York Jets, health has not been in their favor. No. They have been one of the more injury-prone teams in the NFL. If the Jets could somehow, and I, if Makai Beckham was the only bad loss that they had this year, Zach Wilson comes back and he stays healthy, and this team as a whole stays healthy all season long, I expect this team to be much better than they were last year. I really do. Carl Lawson's going to play a big part. Jermaine Johnson, as a young rookie, could play a big part. And this front seven, with not, I'm not even talking about the linebacker. I'm talking about the, the beasts in the front. Yeah. Franklin Myers, uh, Quinn Williams. Obviously, Rankins, these guys, these guys are going to play a big part, especially in the run defense, which they were one of the best run defenses in the league for really for like nine or ten years. And all of a sudden last year completely fell off. I didn't understand that speed. Yeah, it was they were the third best run defense in the league in 2019, only to the Buccaneers. And I think the Raiders were the other was number two. But yeah, all of a sudden it just really fell off badly. And it was never bad in San Francisco with Robert Solid. Now, they struggled here and there against like randomly like not great running backs here and there, like you saw what the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl with Damian Williams and stuff like that. Uh, Seattle's had their share of random running backs that have gone off on the 49ers for whatever reason, even when uh, there's, uh, Chris Carson was hurt and stuff like that. But the 49ers never struggled that badly against the run when Robert Sala was their defensive coordinator. So, yeah, definitely a big step they're, they're going to have to take if those guys can stay healthy. I was always the biggest advocate of Rankins. I thought he was a huge bargain when they got him. So he's definitely got to stay healthy in order to prove that because I think he he was a top five. Four three defensive tackle 
uh, schematically in the NFL when he came from the Saints, and the Saints couldn't sign him for that reason because he was asking for a lot of money, but the injuries have held him back to why he didn't get paid a lot more than he did. So there's definitely a shot he could definitely show it. I think I have more faith in him than the other ones, but Quinton Williams, I still love his upside, and I think he'll definitely be And Franklin Myers is going to play his natural position this year, something that he didn't do last year because they didn't have a pass rusher. So they they were using Franklin Myers at the defensive line as the defensive end. As an edge rusher. Yes, yeah, he's not an edge rusher. He's more of a, a tackle, uh, you know, a nose tackle or, you know, the front guy. Where And, and I think John Franklin Myers is going to help in the run defense now that you have Carl Lawson on one side and you can use Vin, Vinnie Curry, Vin, Vince Curry, what, Vinnie Curry, Vinnie I'm sorry, Curry. Vinnie Curry or Jermaine Johnson. So and I Vinnie Curry hasn't really played at all and he hasn't really practiced at all, but uh, he's expected to make the team because the you know the coaching staff really loves him and he's one of the leaders of this team. So right. it's going to be interesting. Uh, again, do I think this team is going to s- surprise the world and make the playoffs this year? No, I I really don't. But I, I expect next year. You heard it in a poll. A lot of Jeff fans believe that next year Zach Wilson's third year, and and that's what you expect to see the growth. AK Josh Allen. A.K. Aaron Rodgers, all these different guys. Aaron Rodgers came in his third year and became the starting quarterback of the uh, the uh, Green Bay Packers. It was, I think, it was his third year. It was fourth year, but was it? Th- well, but his third year as a starter is when I think he was was MVP, though. So, what was a little bit the pattern, a little bit. Whatever the, the pattern is, is after a couple of years, you expect these quarterbacks to come in and, and succeed as the star quarterback. I believe this year we're going to see glimpses of the talent that what Zach Wilson could be with the weapons that he has with Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, and Mims, and and, and obviously Corey Davis, and all Conklin and Usuma, all the different guys that they have, Uzma, all the different guys that they have. If they show up and they play and they stay healthy, there is no excuses for Zach Wilson to fail. Right, and now you have all different concepts working for you too. You have. Michael Fleur, who comes a little bit, comes a little bit from the Sean McVay tree and a little bit from the Kyle Shanahan tree, and Kyle Shanahan's offense a lot more with running in tight ends and outside motion, and McVay a lot more with the wide receivers, with the bunch formations stuff like that. And the Jets, when healthy, will have the ability to do both and make it, that kind of thing work with the versatility of somebody like Conklin, a great blocker, can move around versatility of all the receivers too they can do that kind of thing if Lafleur can call the plays the way he did in certain games even with Mike White in there as well they let the playbook open up a lot more too and some games I think he held them back too so he has to take that next step too because that'll be the biggest thing for Zach Wilson's growth is being able to use all those weapons the way he should and not force feed one player and try to go to his first read like we've seen him have problems with in the past Well, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back on Thursday at 9 p.m. Who do we have on Thursday, Speedy? Only definitively one right now. Uh, Former MLB umpire uh, Dale Scott, who managed in Major League Baseball from 1986, or umpired in Major League Baseball from 1986 to 2017. So he will be on at 10. There is also a chance. Yeah, he hasn't confirmed anything yet. We might get Matt Fontana back on as well. Uh, He said he was interested in coming on. Awesome. uh, Last week, he couldn't do on Thursday last week, but he said he I might be able to do this week, so I'll see if I can get him. If not, we'll try to get him on in the next couple of weeks I as love well. Matt. Matt. Matt has a good personality. He's he's the host of the uh, you know ESPN in Cleveland afternoon show, So and he's got a good personality. And with I, I love to hear his thoughts of Deshaun Watson taking that 11-game suspension and paying the NFL $5 million and where he thinks the Cleveland Browns could be this year with 
Jacoby Brissett right. starting the first eleven games of the season the way he has. So, and this defense, very, this team is very talented. Uh, very honestly, talented. I love their they roster. have a very good, talented team. They have a great running back in in, in Chubb, and that's why I, I thought Chubb was going to be a very important piece to this team because you have Jacoby Brissett, you don't have Baker Mayfield. You're going to have to run the ball 90% of the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I expect Chubb to have a really, really good season. He just needs to stay healthy. Correct. Um, Thursday, we'll be back, as always. Uh, as always, the crazy fans, the crazy personalities. Thank you uh, to uh, Pro Football Focus Research Development Manager Eric Eager for joining us. Also, uh, heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr. He was fantastic, yeah. by the way. Tell Speedy, Speedy, tell him that we loved him. Uh, send him my uh, Twitter account, and uh, we'll be in touch. Um, that's it. We'll be back on Thursday. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.